the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning, good morning. Welcome to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to be here with you on this early 17 degrees Saturday morning in Memphis, Tennessee. Notice you said 17 degrees, right? Hey, man, it's balmy at your house. It's 15. Oh, <laughs> yes, it's balmy at mine then. If yours is 15, well, so... Welcome to the Mid-South. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm the other guy. He's the other one. <laughs> Mr. Jim Crowder over there. So you don't even have your heat on yet at your house, right? Well, you know, <laughs> it, it, in the bird root and plant room, yeah, it's, oh. it's you know, nice in there. But, Good thing uh, you have we, birds. We are, we are running the heat, but, you know, it, it's... Um, you, you know, could still hang meat in there. Uh, you know, instead of me, you know, with, with a digital thermometer, instead of me going in there and, and, and doing like every other hour a different degree, yeah, I just set it on 68 degrees, 24 hours, okay? <laughs> right. Well, but some like the last two days or two nights, I get home and I'm like, man, it's a little chilly in this house. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I'll go up there and bump it up, you yeah. know, but... Man, it's hard to manage whatever to not degree you need to be on. Yeah, to not move it around. Yeah. Exactly. <clears throat> but, Excuse me. Yeah, because, of course, I... I, I won't see 68 degrees till June in my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's now, what do you have? I mean, about what do you we have? We keep the thermostat set on sixty-four usually. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, he probably walks around like a bear in there with coats and yeah. jackets. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, I, I love our house, but it doesn't. The downstairs is on a separate unit with, and the upstairs is sure. on one. But when it's sixty-two, sixty-three in the den, where which happens to be my bedroom, uh, it. It can get as low as, I think the lowest I've seen it was like 49 in uh-uh. the master bath, uh-uh. you know, and it's running at the same speed. Now, we do keep the door closed to the to the master bedroom just because we don't want that cold air escaping into the den. Oh, my <laughs> word. That's like camping. I can't, uh-uh. I got to yeah. have it a little warmer than that, Mr. Jim. Yeah, yeah, I like that camping, but not in my house. But then he turned his garage, his carport, into the plant and bird room. Yeah. Uh-huh. Of course, there's probably a balmy, you know, it's, 70. It's, it, it's set at 68. See, there you go. That's where you need to be living in yeah, there. I don't know. 68 right. still cold. <laughs> I should be living in Florida. With I don't like see that, how I don't like see it. how y'all pay your your utility bills if you keep it that warm. We, we don't either. <laughs> okay, you, know, you just don't eat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I got a um, confession. Not really a confession, but I, an observation, if you will. Okay. I was driving into work the other day, and these people were cutting on this big oak tree. Okay, and I was thinking, okay, well, I'm gonna see what that looks like on the mm-hmm. way home. Well, on the way home, I looked at this tree, and it looked like it had been completely butchered. Oh. Okay? I mean, just mm-hmm. just cut to death. So then I started looking around at other oak trees that have been pruned here in Memphis, Tennessee. And so I call it the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm telling you. <laughs> mm-hmm. And there are some oak trees that you see that have been pruned the right way. And they look, you know, they still have a big trunk, you know, and they look majestic. and they're, But they're opened up. Right. But they still look somewhat like an oak tree. Right. They still look kind of natural, if you will. They're still a tree. That's the good, okay? The bad was I've seen some looking around, you know, being Mm -hmm. uh, observant, looking at some of these trees that have been pruned maybe last year, year before last. And he's using the term pruned very loosely. Yes, I am. (laughs) And you see all of this small growth just Mm. blown up in this tree, okay? There again, I don't know if they cut the wrong limbs. I mean, but it looks it looked almost 
unnatural. Where they just put a, put a bunch of little limbs yes, came out yes, on some no. abnormal yes, cut. Okay, yes. so. And then, of course, the ugly was the one I just mentioned. I mean, they just butchered it. But, yeah. you know, it made me think, I mean, there's got to be, people have got to understand that there's a right way and a wrong way to pruning mm-hmm. these trees. Or the people that you hire right. yeah. should know the proper way to prune these trees. Because I promise you, if you look around, mm-hmm. you'll see some that are absolutely beautiful. Now, of course, there's some out there that have never been pruned. And you see dead limbs up under them every time the wind comes through, okay? That's my house. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, they look natural, but... It, it just got me to thinking, man, pruning is a big deal. You know, it maybe is. not so much on a knockout rose, okay? But it is a pretty big deal when it comes to these big, beautiful, majestic trees that we have right. around here. You can prune wrong and mess up the tree for the future and still cause it to fall on your house because of incorrect pruning. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I look at all these uh, trees that are pruned along the, the right-of-ways, Mm-hmm. And uh, oh, yeah. we're not going to mention any company names, <laughs> okay? But they were all butchers in their first life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Believe it. it's just, you know, they'll take evergreens and, and cut all the foliage off of them but one limb, you know, mm-hmm. and leave that trunk there, you know. And it, it just needed one more cut at the ground. That was it. <laughs> and they didn't take the time to do it. One clean cut at the ground will solve that problem. Right. What you're saying. You know, and they'd never have to come back again. Well, and you're right, Jim. You do but see them. But that's the problem. They want to make sure they have to exactly. come back. Exactly. Well, and out. you do see them, you know, uh, you know, going down the power lines where they'll just shave the whole side of one tree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I kind of get that because they're protecting the lines, you know, when we have an ice storm or whatever. You don't want all the power going out in the city. And they look horrible. And they're, it's just it's surely unnatural looking, right? And right. like you said, Jim, a lot of times just one swift cut at ground level, you know, problem solved. But I just, I, I just couldn't get over how these majestic oaks, how different they looked by the way they had been pruned, y'all. I mean, and I'm talking about just driving down Walnut Grove. Well, and the the whole thing is, too, is I still can't believe to this day that that we're discussing the fact of why are they still planting under the power lines, like the cities and things. Why? Why did you just plant those all in a row under the line? I cannot Ask that enough times. Well, and the, the other thing, the side note that I wrote down was, I mean, if you are going to do some pruning like that, um, you know, winter usually is the best time. Even late winter, uh, early spring is really, really the best, best time to get it done. With one or two exceptions. Which is what, Jim? Birches and maples. Yeah. yeah I'd like to do those in December if possible because well, the sap starts rising very early and their uh, bleed all yeah. over the place. I mean, you'll have puddles of sap yeah. up underneath mm-hmm. the tree. Yeah. So I'd like to do those a little bit earlier. Uh, but other than that, yeah, late winter, great. Yeah, so it's good, uh, very good prune prune tree in time, or would that be tree pruning time? Tree pruning time. Yeah, tree pruning time. Or pruning tree time. That, t- that both makes sense. <laughs> but, you know, also, this is something I would show that you us three were just looking at. Okay, like in Florida, the beautiful, beautiful agave, agave. Oh, yeah. Because you were down in Florida here recently. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I left at Christmas, they were all there. Nice, pretty arms, just full. And Seth had told me, he goes, Mom, when you get here, you're not going to believe what they did to the agave. So we pulled in, and they had pruned all the bottom arms off. And this is out in a... Com- a uh, the apartment complex. Like okay, right so this is out going. on the grounds. Yeah, on the grounds. So first off, of course, it looked to us, because we know how beautiful agave is, horrible. 
But and so you're like, oh, they did a hack job. Why did they prune it like that on and on? But, you know, they pruned it nice and they pruned it decent. Uh, so someone that doesn't know what that agave looked like before thinks it still looks beautiful. Yeah, I saw and a it, picture of it. it looks, well, to me, it looks it beautiful. Does. And again, but, this is a case where the that's a, it's a great plant, but mm-hmm. that's not where it should be. Right, right. All exactly. those were planted in medians that are very narrow, mm-hmm. and the leaves are going to overhang. And, you know, people really don't appreciate the car being yeah. scratched by those. Because mm-hmm. they sure will. They yep. get that little needle so, on the you end. Know, there are a lot of plants like that. They're great plants. It's just you don't want to put them, you know. For years, we'd see people take that purple leaf barberry and plant it along a walkway. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know. The thorns I, on I wish I had a dollar for every lady stocking that that's just <laughs> zipped across, you know. Right, right. Um, right. Well, it's like, true. so there is quote-unquote improper pruning uh, ways to do it. But even though this looks pruned improperly because it doesn't go with the natural shape of the plant, it still looks good. Yeah, it's not, and not it's bad not, looking. Yeah, and it's not killing it. And and it's now it's fitting back into our uh, scope of things that we need. But then there's also... Improper pruning, which is detrimental. Well, and like Jim just said, a lot of this improper pruning um, is coming because, there again, people are planting things where they really shouldn't be planted. It's out of necessity, Mm -hmm. you You know, know, that you have to prune it that way. How many times have we heard people say, I'm trying to get in my house, and the shrubs that I planted on either side, they've they've taken over the walkway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, also, now, these agaves where I've seen them planted you know, more in their natural habitat instead of, of course, Florida is natural, but they've still got it in a medium with extra irrigation, which made them grow bigger mm-hmm. than what the specs say they would. And then in turn, <laughs> you're back to pruning them. See, but so. it, to me, it, it, it still makes me think like a lot of other people think. You were just down in Florida, and here you are talking about agave in a median strip. Mm-hmm. On an apartment complex, okay? Agave. Yeah. Where those same people would come up here and they would see, you know, our crepe myrtles and mm-hmm. those kind of things. You know, so that going back to the point where we always want to plant things that that yeah. naturally don't grow around here That's because me. they're new. That is me. Yep, yep. 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 <laughs> so, well, then I'm like, okay, Jim, because there is an agave that they we were talking about that grows here. Oh, and yeah. There, the there are a number of them that are quite hardy here. Yeah, so yeah. I want to... To do that, to start introducing a few more in. Yeah. You know, this, this past spring, I planted uh, two of the whale's tongue, uh, yeah, and they've grown one. quite a bit. I'm real pleased with how And how they're outside, they Jim, on. in a bed. Yeah, yeah, they're in an elevated bed. And also, when I planted them, uh, the bed's about 12 inches higher than the, re- on the ground. But I, I, to edge this bed to get that height, I took a big flat rock and stood it straight up. Yeah. And that's yeah. on the east side so that it catches sun first thing in the morning and warms that soil up. And hopefully that will help protect that. And so far, so good? So far, so good. It looks really good, you know. Uh, it, it should take zero degrees without any issue. And, and what, how would you landscape with that, though? I mean, because that's mm-hmm. kind of a big, succulent-looking yeah. type it's, plant. It's a, it's, it's a specimen plant type okay. thing, you know. You've got to use other stuff around mm-hmm. it. But there's some that are, are, are smaller. There's one called... Um, uh, is it green jaws or something like it? It's um, it's the uh, truncata that is it's it's really really heavily thorn, but doesn't mm-hmm. get but about twelve inches tall, and it makes a nice little round accent plant, you know. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, to put under true. your daughter's window. Yeah, so, so there you go. Or like they had these agaves, they were in a line on the median, but then there was hibiscus uh-huh. around it, you know, and and like the beautiful chefaleras that we grow inside that are like yellow, the um, variegated chefalera houseplant. Yeah, the long you know, elf. The, yeah, yeah, those are the. Uh, um, their shrubs are low-growing shrubs under windows there. And then the spath, the closet plant or mm. the funeral plant, they're lined up under windows and just have those white blooms. You know, where we would have a row of hollies there, right. a row of distilliums, they have a row of spathophiliums. That's pretty cool. It is. All right, guys, I know we got to go to a break, but uh, some of the high points today, you know, I, I mentioned mold control last weekend that we didn't get into. I've just got to because I've had people want to choke me for not doing it. Uh, keeping ground covers clean this time of year, guys. Mm-hmm. You know, there's something we need to talk about that. And for some reason, I was thinking about Paul Little last night. Oh, you know, we need funny. to bring back the Leaping Lizards. We're going to have uh-huh. to see if we can, the band that he was in. Yeah. We're going to have to get that going and see if we can get him to, back to, up on stage for sure. The, um, I want to talk about container grow invaded. This is your forte. I know you love it. Maybe planting some yews and uh, containers mm-hmm. this year. Yeah. You know, I absolutely. think that's something that we haven't been doing. And, of course, we'll talk about the boxwood blight again at the Dixon. So quite a few different things we can talk about this morning. All right. Well, Kenneth's got his thing lined up. So (laughs) we shall take y'all's gardening questions, too, add to our list of what we should all be talking about. Because it is 17 out there, so we may as well sit around and chat. 901-260-5926. The Mid-South's conservative blowtorch, the Mighty 990 KWAM. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad to have you here with us this morning. So many wonderful things to talk about. Um, One thing I was just telling Jim on the break, showing Jim, was, uh, of course, when I went to Florida for houseplants, the houseplant show, the tropical show, see what all is happening down there. And I remember when, you know, we used to, pop things off the plants like a leaf would fall off or a piece of the plant would fall off and you'd just kind of stick it in a cute little bottle maybe to root Mm it. Now, um, looking at a lot of the vendor booths, people are specifically making pretty glass bottles and pretty plant holders for your cuttings. Years ago, we used to sell a good many. It was just a little glass orb that hung mm-hmm. by fishing line, yeah. had a hole in it, <laughs> right. and you just drop a piece of philodendron in there or or, uh-huh. or um, devil's ivy or something like that, and people would buy the darn things, yeah. you know? I know. Yeah, that, city folk are weird. They'll just buy anything. I know. <laughs> it's Well, that's the other thing was kind of humorous, too, is one of the shelves had, like, all these different types of glass bottles, and it had a little soil in it and a start here and a start there and a start there, and they were selling them for good money, and I'm thinking, wow, you know, when we would finish eating our corn, little jellies at Christmas that was in the nice little jelly jars. Mom would clean them out, put a little soil, little cactus, and put it in the windowsill. And that little jelly jar didn't cost thirty dollars at yeah, all. That's right. You know, and mm-hmm. that they want me to buy a jelly jar to put my plant in. But um, there's so many. But see, that's how things have changed now. Yeah. You can buy that, you know, little jelly jar at uh, some place uh, like Hobby Lobby uh-huh. for dollar and a half and then you know put a little soil in it and sell it for 49.99 that's so true i was seeing i'm seriously thinking i was seeing that i mean there was some best yeah there was there was some um oh like they had one set up sort of like a bar like the lady goes you walk by and the vendor goes you want a shot You look, a shot. He's got a little shot glass with some sand in it and a cactus in it. Mm-hmm. Or they oh, say, you, cool. Yeah, or you would like a glass <laughs> of champagne, and it's a champagne glass with some marbles in it, uh, water, and an ethereum. 
put in there. So, you know, they're coming up with all kinds of fun things. But at first, I mean, it's just fun. You're doing, it's almost like you're playing house with yeah. plants. Yeah, house and, plants. and a lot of these, you know, they're temporary plants. Mm. They're going to outgrow the container they're in. And yeah. they're really designed <laughs> as accents. And, mm-hmm. you know, if it gets to looking ugly, you just throw it away yeah. and buy you another one. You know, uh, I like to have table color on my on my kitchen table, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. So you can pick up, you know, when you're in Kroger or someplace, you get a little African violet or, or a colancho or a little orchid. Yeah. And, you know, it gives you four or six weeks of really good color. And See what that last orchid I bought? I told you mm-hmm. it for six months. Yeah. And then yeah. just, you know... You, if you want to try to hang on to it, fine. But if you don't, mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't have the the desire or place to, to keep 100 orchids yeah. after they've stopped plugging. Right, right. And <laughs> you sure you know? want to. That's right. But well, So you just buy another one. Maybe that's uh, pass along plant day or plant trade out day. We might have to have something like that. So you Because you never want to throw them away. But if you could find somebody to trade out with, oh, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, that might work. And, of course... If you can always break down to the, I'll put it in the compost pile. I mean, at least it's going back to something besides just chunking in the trash. Or I just tell myself, it'll just add good compost to the trash pile. <laughs> <laughs> it's One so way to d- look at it. Yeah. So, so the thing with houseplants is it's so much more than going to the store and buying a four-inch plant now and just plop it down on your counter and then... Uh, enjoy it for a minute. There's so much more decorate. Now the interior of homes are being designed around growing house plants, actually, because we just need really? the space. We mm-hmm. need we need to have the plants just for the general fact of keeping the ecosystem in the entire world going. Yeah, you know. Keeping that air clean yeah, in the house. Yeah, keeping me go. happy. <laughs> keeping me happy with the wonderful house plants inside. And then you can take them outside and, and do a whole thing there, too. So, plants, um, big yeah. time. so there's that, uh, which is a great thing to do with the cold weather like th- this today. I don't know. Great thing to do is just read those seed catalogs, read those organic gardening catalogs, <laughs> read your soil catalogs, pick out plants, call your garden centers. Hey, what are y'all doing? I know you're not doing anything. Well, Spring good, cleaning. It's a good yeah. time to go see them because yeah. a lot of them are trying to clear its inventory to mm-hmm. make room for new stuff. Yeah. Um, I was in one not just uh, 10 days or so ago and, you know, came home with a whole bunch of plants because, <laughs> you know, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> exactly. So you get a couple of good ones out of there, a couple of experiments yep. with a few of them. And mm-hmm. yeah, so there's definitely a lot of things to do that you can do today to prepare you for the uh, gardening season coming up as well. Let's but, talk a little bit about what's going on with the weather, though, right now. Yeah, yeah. Jim. I mean... We've had some extremely cold weather, and we've had a little batch before this, okay? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, like I've always said, if a plant can live here in the Mid-South, it can live anywhere. So what what do you think? I mean, so far, so good? Yeah, we've been very lucky w- with uh, the fact the soil's been moist as we've gone into these cold spells. And it has. You're yeah. right. Yeah. We've had plenty of rain with it. Uh, and even like this the last three days where we haven't gotten much above, if above, uh, freezing, right. the soil gets quite warm in the sunlight like this. So yeah. it thaws every day, mm-hmm. refreezes a little bit at night, thaws the next day. So it hasn't been, 
it's it's not like having zero degrees for a week and yeah. having winds suck the moisture out of it and it can't do anything. You know, that's why we we lost uh, so many plants last year in Hawthorne and that kind of stuff. It was just so bitter, so windy. Uh, for so long. For so long. Uh, so, so far, we, this, although, I mean, it's cold this morning, it didn't, you know, it's, it's really not been a hard winter yet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, of course, back before Christmas, I made a forecast that I, I said that this may be the, the winter that we call, you know, 2022 is the year without a winter because everything looked like at that time, um, the jet stream's going to stay north of us, you know, and it was just yeah. not going to get bitterly cold. We've had a couple little burps, two of which I predicted. Right. Uh, but, uh, it, you know, it, it really, it hasn't been bad. Of course, it's only still January. Mm-hmm. You know, February yeah. can get, yeah. and early March can get pretty it's, crazy around here. It yeah. is. Um, I'm watching it, too, and it, and it's like, it's almost... We're just stuck right in the center of it, of mm. where, how big is the burp going to be, really? Yeah. <laughs> because I'm feeling the same way you were, but then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, we're hiccuping over. The well, colder's you know, pushing down like a little we more. we got seven to ten days right now of, uh, with just nothing but sun. I know, yeah. which is we awesome, a, but... might get a little rain or flurries yeah. on Thursday, but it's, you know, it's what's, nothing. What's that? Yeah. Well, let's just hope and pray that come early March, you know, we won't have a 57-degree day and a 13-degree night. You know, that's a lot of times, or a 10-degree mm. night. Uh, Lots of 57s. Yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden just this sudden, sudden, you know, drop. But the good thing is, like Jim said, so far so good because we've had mm-hmm. the moisture to kind of insulate those roots before we've had this cold weather set in. And, you know, overall, we've only had these. This is really the second cold spell that we've had. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying we're done with it, but, you know, I don't think we're going to see the huge dieback right. that we saw last year. Because mm-hmm. as cold as it's been on certain days, you think we're in trouble, but we're not. Yeah. We're really good. Okay, we're good. We're going to take more gardening questions, 260-5926. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Glad you're up with us early this morning. I'm Beta with Palladio in Memphis. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Centers. And I'm Jim Crowder out of my recliner this morning to come visit with y'all for a little bit. And yes, Jim, you've you. got a neat little uh, Facebook page there, don't you? Or gardening Well, page? you would think after this much time you would know that. I yes. know that. I do know, I that. know that. Yes. If you're not a member, you should join. Uh, we have a Facebook group called Mid-South Gardening. Mm-hmm. Got a lot of cool files there under the file section where you can look if you're interested in quince or forsythias. It gives you lots of different varieties, you know. Forsythia is a plant that I love and also hate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a good because, way to put that. Yeah, it's it's beautiful when it's in bloom, but then it usually gets, it's too big for where mm-hmm. you want it. But there are forsythias for every place in the garden. Mm-hmm. Now we have little dwarf ones, a uh, little bo peep and some of those that don't get very tall at all. So um, and people miss a lot with the flower and shrubs because, you know, what we used to do was be just, cut a few pieces in December, bring them in, put them in water, and they would bloom on out mm-hmm. in the heat. Mm-hmm. And then when those faded, you go out and cut a few more pieces, yeah. you know. And uh, 
So quince, there are so many varieties of quince that are absolutely spectacular. And people forget all about the quince, yeah. Yeah. early blooming quince. And a lot of the new double flowers don't have any thorns at all. So Ooh, it's, now that I did not know. Yes, they're mm. uh, they're really pretty. Um, they're not all they're not all an eight by eight plant now. No. Uh-uh. Yeah, so no. we can get smaller ones to fit into our smaller landscape because that was my thing at first. They were gorgeous, yeah. but they were too big. Mm-hmm. So uh, lots of cool flowering shrubs. If you're not using them, you should look at them. You know, I've got uh, my eastern snowballs trying to flower right now. The viburnums. Yeah. Outside. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So oh, I need to go check out because we've got our shrubs put up and I don't want. I'm going to make sure that I get the forsythias and the, um, the uh, spireas and the quince. You know, I don't want them to start blooming in the greenhouse. No. I want them to mm-hmm. slow down and stay with our environment. But those are going to be coming up. Uh, you know, like around the middle of February is mm-hmm. when typically we start seeing a little a bit. Of, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. So Hard we're really believe. not that far away. Oh, I'd wanted to um, say this before we got it's not on plants, but when I was in Florida looking for places to eat, there was this one place called Smoky Bones. Smoky Bones. Smoky Bones in Florida. So I'm like, well, I wonder what they're like. And it says, similar to Corky's Ribs and Barbecue and Central Barbecue in Midtown Memphis. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I was like, well, well I smell that? that every day. I was gonna, I was looking for some, uh, some seafood. But we were mentioned Memphis. I hope you got barbecue instead. I went somewhere else. Ah, I see. Because you know you, you get, get that in Memphis. Here all you want, yeah, yeah, I'm down there for the uh, blackened <laughs> shrimp or or what have you. That's about as far <laughs> seafood as I go. Yeah. Some good grilled shrimp. Ooh. Yeah, mm, yum. I, hey, we know there's a lot of ground covers out there, right? And there again, I made an observation, y'all. Once again, <laughs> I don't know why I'm doing You've this just this been week. I know this I week. have, <laughs> but it, what caught my eye was this beautiful bed of ivy that was on one side of this person's driveway. And it went all the way to the property line. And there were some trees and everything planted in this ivy bed. But it looked beautiful because it was nothing but a sea of green, I'm telling you. And I was just thinking to myself, I was at a red light thinking, that is one of the most healthy patches of ivy mm-hmm. I've seen in a long time. Really. Yeah. But then you look around and then you see some of these other, I'm just, and I'm picking on ivy, uh, these other ivy beds that are just, they, they got tons of leaves in them. Yeah. You know, just debris yeah. all in it. And they looked horrible. I'm telling you. Just non kept at yes, ever. Yes. Yeah. So I, I guess my point that I'm trying to bring up is every year we're going to have leaf drop, okay, mm-hmm. on deciduous trees. And a lot of times you do see deciduous trees growing in ivy beds. My point is, make sure that you give it at least an effort to go out there with a blower, a shrub rake, a leaf rake, or mm-hmm. something, and try to get as much of that debris in and, and out and off of that ivy, yeah, for example. That's true. That at least that effort, like you said, can prevent a lot of issues. Yeah, because you can, you know, a lot of times if you don't put forth the effort to keep it as clean as you can, we all know that this stuff, uh, especially leaves, for example, they just stay wet. You know, mm-hmm. then you're creating a fungal environment. You know, it's staying way too wet for root rot and all these other then things. Then they're heavy, and you don't want to go out there and work no, on them. No, Veda, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm telling you, if y'all could have seen that first bed that was perfectly clean and, and healthy and beautiful. I'm talking mm-hmm. about just the other day. And then I've noticed these other ones that had long dieback, uh-huh. you know, runners in there and just looked horrible. And I promise you, the only difference that I could just visually see was a lot of debris in the ones that looked mm-hmm. horrible. Really clean on the ones that look really good. I want to show Ken. I've got a picture on my phone here. I'm fixing to show Kenneth. Uh, it's a picture of a dog laying underneath a uh, uh, a bird bath, and you know what that's called? A hound cover. 
He is a big old hound. It is a hound laying there up under that bird bath. That's a a nice little hound cover there. I Uh like those hound covers. (laughs) But but hadn't y'all noticed that, though? I mean, Mm -hmm. and then you'll, even during the growing season, you'll have people bringing in samples of uh, ground covers, whether it's Asiatic Jasmine, the Vincas, the Ivies on down, the Jugas on down the line. And they are yeah, they either they got crown rot, they got root rot, they've got leaf spot diseases. I mean, they're just struggling, right? You know, and they're trying to do the right things, but it's just something that we usually just kind of ignore because it's a ground mm-hmm. cover. But you do want to keep those things, guys, as as clean as you possibly can. I think it makes a huge difference. Yeah, you know, it's uh, what I like to do is if you've got one like the oak tree. Now I haven't been as diligent at keeping the leaves out, um, but but the only things in there is hostas and Asiatic jasmine, so I'm not terribly worried about it. Um, but if you you can buy uh, a deer fence, you know, for twenty five thirty bucks, I guess it's like seven feet tall, hundred feet long, and cut just cut you a square out of it, and lay it on top of the ground cover. In hmm. along in uh, into September, first of October, it's very fine black plastic. You can, uh, netting you can't see it once you lay it down. Is it almost like a bird netting? Yeah, gym? it is. Okay. It's like a bird netting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you just lay it on top of it, and then you know every thirty days or so, if you get leaves on it, you just pull it off, shake the leaves off. Put it back on there. That's the easy way to keep it that really thing clean. Is. It's really easy, and it stays where it's at pretty much, you know, because you get a little vines growing through it from time mm-hmm. to time. But it's uh, it's an easy way to get everything off of mm-hmm. that ivy and keep it clean. So, so you could do that through the, the fall and winter. Yes, yeah, yeah, not through the. So don't leave it all year. Yeah. No, because no, then you'll uh-uh. not, then it's not be coming able back to up. Yeah, pull it back it out. Yeah, through. okay, yeah. that was good because at first I was thinking, well, how in the world is that going to work? Because you're going to try to pull it off, and it's going to be all rooted right. in. But we're just doing it for the leaf growing cover. That's right. Time. You know, and by getting one that's a hundred feet long like that, you know, it'll last you ten years or so. You cut pieces out of it, and, and that's and a good idea. I think because okay, so like if I had Asian jasmine ground cover, I could just mow it and let it come back. Yeah. But can you just mow down English ivy ground cover and have it come back? I don't think it's as as doable to do every time i feel like you'd spread disease possibly cut too much off i mean you you typically don't see people out there cutting back ivy beds you know like you do some of these other ones and then jim you made a comment about monkey grass was it last weekend Mm -hmm. yeah Uh, you're saying you know when 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 right now yeah i'm saying january mm -hmm. mid-february at the latest i like to start uh, i like to cut it back because it's uh, with our ground being as warm as it can be here early in the season, you'll start getting the tips to come up in the center of it. And then if you cut it off, you have square tips. Of course, wouldn't bother me, but Kenneth over here would have a heart oh, attack if his <laughs> pointed If I had square were, tips on my, yeah, on my monkey grass. Yeah. <laughs> now, but what about the argument where if you cut it down too low, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about just scalp it almost down to the ground. And then you get some more extremely cold weather, and it's got enough cold to penetrate yeah. that crown. See, that's that's what I was you know, just I about mean, to say. But we all know how tough, yeah. you know, monkey yeah, grass is. I think plan. you could you yeah. could cut low enough to actually damage the the growing tip. I mean, that's yeah. a possibility. But why would you cut that low to start with, right? Yeah, but if you're setting even setting your mower down at the lowest spot, I think unless your ground's unlevel, yeah. you're not going to damage it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like it just frees the microorganisms more. <laughs> <laughs> because but, but I it's take, like yesterday I, I saw them just scalp off the, the dwarf mondo in this one mm-hmm, area, mm-hmm. cleaned it off. And then I'm thinking it's going to be so clo- cold tonight. 
and it was used to that nice warm environment. Little blanket there, yeah. yeah what thought, warm environment? Of <laughs> down in the cuddly leaves and the the shelter from the wind, from the leaves and everything being a the the protective environment that okay. it had. And so when that's gone, then it's just stark. You're just out there. See, that's what I was looking Coldness at at the monkey grass. You cut this wonderful blanket yeah. off, you know. But you guys make it sound like it's getting the blankets giving it heat or something. You it's got to be, but it, it no, might yeah. not. It might, yeah. it might keep I mean, it that cold to. from penetrating down into the crown. Mm-hmm. Of that particular plant. Oh, horse feathers. It, yeah, you know. It's got to. I mean, so then why do I have a blanket? Uh, well, to keep well snuggly. You, you generate heat. Okay. Mm-hmm. But chill factor has, you know, when you're talking about plants, they don't have chill factor. If it's 17 mm-hmm. degrees outside, it, the plant is 17 that's degrees. That's pretty cold without okay. a chill factor now, or with it. That's what with I mean. wind blowing yeah. across, it can suck moisture out of it, but it mm-hmm. doesn't lower the temperature right. because it's not generating yeah. any heat like you are. Yeah. So if it still had its cuddly thing going on there then the wind wouldn't take the moisture out the microorganisms wouldn't be cold and it would have a less of an up and down you know it's hot it's cold it's hot it's cold jim is squirming over here <laughs> but i do like the idea though of cutting back beds of monkey grass i mean you can see some beds that have never been cut back mm-hmm. and, and that's fine i mean they'll still grow yeah but i like that new clean look you know, you're cutting mm-hmm. off that With, old, without the square tips. Without the square yeah, tips, that's right. <laughs> and, and like Jim said, if you wait till late in the season to cut monkey grass back, there again, it's not going to hurt it. Mm-hmm. But you are going to have that little jagged edge, that on square tip for the, the rest top. of the growing season. Right. Yeah, and actually, with monkey grass, if it's looking kind of ratty by August or so, you know, around the first of August, shear it back to yeah. the ground again. Yeah. It'll come no, right back out. Then it's going to get too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> It'll enjoy it then, there's that a, airflow. <laughs> there's a real pretty monkey grass called Okina, which is it has white foliage. Mm-hmm. And has just a little bit of green at the tip. Now, when you it comes up in the spring, it's pure white. It's gorgeous. And then as the season progresses, it gets it has some green blotches that are darker, and it gets a little bit greener. But then if you cut it back in August or so and let it re-sprout, it comes back out white again. So it's really wow. cool. And what's the name of that again, Jim? Okina. Okina. O-K-I-N-A. Yeah, it's a beautiful little little uh so but and, and it do, it's not a spreader so it doesn't doesn't grow fast and yeah then, there's there's a liriope liriope that's out that's yellow oh yeah pd ingot i'm not it's beautiful see the one that i have gotten before must not is not that name and i actually had ordered it by accident and i thought it was having a nutrition deficiency it, looked, it doesn't look nutrient even, deficient it doesn't even look right yeah, so there's so many yellow plants that to me just look like they need iron yeah so that know. one you mentioned what was the name of it the yellow one pd, yeah. PD ingot i have to look that one up because yeah. i feel like a, a yellow it, the ripe it would a look cool good yellow it yeah. really is now it, it it will green up some during the season like mm-hmm. most yellow plants do. Yeah. Uh, but it's uh, it is a beautiful little accent plant mm. to add to a garden. Yeah. So I guess what to take out of this is try to keep them clean as you can the beds, yeah. even monkey grass beds as far as that goes. Uh, it never hurts to cut them back, some of them, for ex- especially when it comes to your, your monkey grass. Yeah. And then get all that debris out of there. And then you can lightly mulch in there if you've got them just kind of clumped in there. Yeah, right. throw some pine needles over them since they've lost their little blanket. Oh, yes, 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 get some right. more. 
Give me a blanket back. <laughs> I don't want to feel a breeze. Thank you. Um, yeah, and then, well, you know, like in the English Ivy, too, it's like sometimes you have to take a blower and just blow these big loads of leaves out that exactly. fall in there. But let's um, do this. Let's take some of your gardening questions, 260-5926, or you can uh, listen to our podcast or look us up on Facebook Live, and we're going to come back and talk to you a little more. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back. Glad you could be with us this morning. So uh, now that we've taken the blankets off of all our plants, should we put the blankets back? <laughs> yeah, well, you know we're not done with cold weather. And Veda, I know that you were in Florida uh, this week, actually, uh, looking at house plants and different things. Had a customer bring in a sample of a house plant the other day, and it had the dreaded old mealybug on it. Or more than one. It was kind of sticky, had yeah. mealybugs down the rib. He's like, what is this little thing? I said, it's a mealybug. It's a little fuzzy, little nasty-looking bug that you don't want inside on your houseplants. And he said, okay, so what do I do? And I told him, I said, you know, maybe in this case do the two-step method. You know, mm-hmm. other than having your wife, because he said he, he was going to get his wife to get in, that, in there <laughs> and wash wash the, uh, the foliage, okay, with just warm, soapy water. He was going to try to remove as much as he possibly could physically. And then what I meant by the two-step is get in there and spray these plants. And whether it's a neem oil or a combination of neem and pyrethrin or just a good, Mm -hmm. safe, benign insecticide that you can typically even use indoors. And I said, but also get these systemic granules, you know, the ones that you sprinkle in the soil and water that in, and that will kill the insect from the inside out. But the beauty of the granules, using it along with the spray, is it's longer lasting. I said, yeah. you, and I, and I told him, I said, mealybugs are hard to get rid of. They really can be. But if you give it a good wiping down and you spray and come back in 10 days and spray again, maybe 10 days after that and spray again, and you use the systemic granules in the soil, you'll get rid of these insects. Mm-hmm. Right, you know? right. Uh, yeah, we um, that that's excellent because there's great houseplant sprays for indoors too that just doesn't make your house smell exactly. so much. Uh, so it is. I use the neem with. Um, let's see, which one have I been using lately? Just the neem. Yeah, neem is and fine. And spraying down like in if you get the scale or mealybugs, just actually targeting the plant. But you need to investigate the whole plant too. You and know, the and surrounding check. plants. Yeah. Well, I told him. Yeah. I said mealybugs. They love to move around on these other houseplants. But then mm-hmm. I said, you know, now let's figure out why you have mealybugs to start with. And, uh, you know, whether it's, we talked about, you know, it needs adequate light, uh, warm temperatures inside the house, moist, not wet. Uh, you know, you want to keep it as healthy as you possibly can. Now, he might have brought them in this fall with mealybugs already on right. them. Probably did. Even, yeah. Likely. But I'm just saying, eggs. yeah, right, Jim. But I'm just saying, guys, make your rounds, look at your house plants. If you see insects on them, uh, I like to do those three things. I like to wipe the foliage as best I can. I surely like to spray uh, more than one time with just a good, safe, benign product that you can use indoors. And I still like to use those systemic granules uh, that you can use, of course, on house plants mm-hmm. in containers. So if yeah. you do those things, I mean, I really think it's going to get rid of the insects, most of the insects that you could have any problems with. And a lot of people sometimes don't understand how they can bring their house plants mm-hmm. in and then they start getting insects on the inside. Right. You know, they can actually be a few of the insects <laughs> on the plant 
outside, but the conditions are, are fine outside for them, so the insects and the plant live good together. They're okay. The plant's strong enough to resist the insect, and the insect can't take it over because the environment and the three things that make insects happen aren't happening. Then you take it inside, and that one or two little insects all of a sudden is in this new environment, and the plant's a little weaker, and the mm-hmm. insect says, ah, thank you very much, and I'm going to start living here. So um, that's another reason why you don't think that you may be bringing insects in because you're like, well, there was no insect on my plant outside. But then you bring it in, you change the environment, and it's more doable for the insect. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And uh, I mean, but he would, he wanted to keep the plant. That he had been, the plant had been in the family for quite a while. You know, and if it was some little old plant, you know, struggling, some people just mm-hmm. throw it away and start over. But some of these plants have sentimental value yeah. to a lot of people. Oh and, I, yeah. you know, I didn't ask him where the plant had come from, what part of the family, but he just said it had been in the family for a long time. And it was, like I said, eaten up with, uh, or fixing to be with mealybugs. So he wanted to get rid of them for sure, you know? Yeah. You just have to know that when you're in an indoor environment, that houseplants aren't going to look perfect all the time. Even in an outdoor environment, they can go through phases and stuff. There's this one plant that, um, it's a pothos, and sitting in this one area in the garden center and apparently it had not been draining properly and of course it started uh wilting and somebody came to me and they said i'm watering it but the leaves are still wilted well Mm -hmm. what had actually had happened was the all the roots had become just a little dislodged so it had um broken the root hairs and there were so many leaves to keep the moisture in but they couldn't happen and then they were trying to water it so I got the water stopped. I cut all the leaves off because the stems were really thick. They're growing up, you know, real high. So I've cut most of the leaves off, left a few on there to try to get the um, leaf, the root to shoot structure. The, right, the ratio yeah, correct. Yeah, the ratio correct. <coughs> and then um, add some root stimulator, like some seaweed, and try to regrow it out. But somebody had just wanted to toss it. Which I can get that, yeah, because it was looking bad, and you got to spend all this time and energy trying to heal it. But the point it is, down? it's starting to recover. So that's one thing we may want to learn is not to give up so quickly. I have a, a couple of pothos that we've had for I know over twenty years. Wow. Oh, well. Um, and every year or so, I'll just whack them off at the top. You know, yeah, because they'll yeah. get six feet long. This year they grew down a wall across the bed, flower bed. Oh, and, neat! Uh, so you're just cutting them back. And yeah, so I just cut that off, back. let it, you know, become compost right there when I brought them in. And well, it, it was know, funny, but I know we only got a minute. Just continue to, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can't kill the darn thing. <laughs> well, that, and that's good yeah. because my wife came home last night from work with some that had been cut. Yeah. Okay, just the cuttings from some of these. So mm-hmm. she put it down in a vase with some water. And she knows that they're going to root, Absolutely. and then we'll put them in a pot, and off we go. But it's something about that plant. These that people don't have love. sentimental value. It's just that they have such a will to live. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why, that's why they're still alive. Right. Almost, I almost made my son run off the road when I said, "Stop! Look at that huge leaf on that philodendron." <laughs> in Florida, the leaves are like a foot by oh, foot. Yeah. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. 
the garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're here with you in the second hour. I think the temperature is probably still 17. Y'all can call us 260-5926. I'm Veda with Palladio. And I'm Kenneth with Dan West Garden Center. And I'm Jim Crowder. Jim's chicken. <laughs> well, today know, he's Jim Cowder. He just starts with it, you know. <laughs> just, yeah. I am retired, retired nurseryman. Yes. Yeah. But 260-5926. Of course, you can go to Facebook, the Mighty 990, mm-hmm. or com. There's a lot of different ways, but you can shoot us a text. You can give us a call. Uh, a lot of different ways to get in touch with us, Miss Veda. Yeah, stream us online if you can't pick us up, radio.com. Right. So, um, let's see, we've really been working the houseplants over today, but then we also have, you know, the critters are on the prowl, I bet, as always. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just posted something on Instagram with all these things that you can use to repel critters, and it's people think, isn't it too early? It's so cold, but not really. We have to be a, ahead of them all the time. Yeah, it's it's just something that's always going to be that way, and one of the critters that runs people more crazy, if I can say it that way, you than mean any Jim, the Jim Crowder critter. Yeah, but other than that one, oh. is a dang <laughs> mole, M O L E, and then sometimes a vole. But moles just run people crazy, and I think the reason they do Veda is because there are a lot of different ways we can try to get rid of moles, but I don't think there's any of them that are one hundred percent effective every time you use it. And you're trying to get rid of a varmint that lives underground. Yeah. You know, so it, it, and it's hard to do. And I think that's what makes people just despise them so much. We just need to get a hookup with a, 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 a varmint that lives above ground that can help us with the underground. Well, there's no doubt about <laughs> it. But, I mean, if, if you have a mole problem and if you live long enough, you will have one. Uh, depending on where they are, I mean, some people just let them go. You know, yeah. they're Mother Nature out there just aerating the lawn for you, right? Uh, but <laughs> And I'm fine with some of the uh, some places in my backyard. If they get back there, I'm fine with it, you know? Yeah. Uh, they're not really bothering me. I don't really care that much about that back area back there. But when they start getting into their side and front yards, then it becomes an issue with me, right? So some of the ways that you can try to get rid of moles— is uh, probably a repellent that we sell more than anything else. And typically, the repellents have nothing more than castor oil in them. Uh, there's a product called Mole Max, which is a granulated castor oil. And then there's Mole Go, which is a liquid ready-to-spray castor oil, right? Mm-hmm. And it's been proven that they don't like castor oil. There again, it doesn't hurt anything. It just moves them out of that area, we hope. Secondly, there's different types of poisons. And I never don't mind the idea of using a poison because I don't mind killing the little boogers, okay? But whether it's something like poison peanuts, whether it's the poison worms that a lot of people will put down in their tunnels, um, you know, they tend to do a good job if you put them in the active tunnels. And now a lot of times people can't really decide which tunnels are active. I can understand that, but they do better if you put them in the active tunnels. So poisons are another way. And then thirdly, there's always the old mole trap, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's scissor traps. There's spear traps. There are a lot of different types of traps. But the same thing, for a trap to be effective, it really needs to be put on an active tunnel, okay? And then lastly, of course, there's the different grub killers. Uh, now, unfortunately, a lot of the grub killers that you put down are going to kill your red earthworms also. 
they love to eat both of them. So if you get rid of their food source, you know, in theory, they're going to go somewhere else. So those are the angles. Those are the things you can try. Uh, I say don't ever give up, throw your arms up and say, you know, Mm -hmm. they can have the yard uh, because there are some things we can do as homeowners. But it just seems like out of all the varmints out there, that's just one of them that runs people more crazy than anything else. I think just be prepared because, you know, sometime you're going to get them. Sometimes it's just how we react to it. We can stress ourselves out so bad over them (laughs) that it becomes like in your head. And you become a crazy person. So just know that you're possibly going to have these issues and get your arsenal. You've got to try a number of different things. Boy, I mean, just the list is so long on what to use to control moles. Juicy fruit, cat litter, um, wind spinners. I've heard of juicy fruit. fruit, Yeah, yeah, I've heard it all. The windmill spinners for the vibration in the yard. The cat or human hair. Yeah. And, you know, I could see all those things can work maybe one time. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be obtrusive or or smell or or whatever, so they're going to move around it. But it's just a... It's just a fact of life. That's all. Yeah. And I, you know, and we sell all of those products when it comes to the poisons, the bait, I mean, the baits, uh, the repellents, the traps, and even the the grub killers. But it seems like we sell probably more of the repellents than we do anything else. I think more for the fact, Vade and Jim, that, and y'all know this, that they're safe to use. They're not going to hurt the dog, the cat, me or you. You know, they're they're very benign. They're not going to hurt anything. Uh, knowing that, you know, if, if we run them out of there, they can always come back. But at least you're getting them out of there. You're sending them back to the neighbors where they came from. Giving it a minute for your plants yeah. to try to regrow you know? before they so, come back. So try some of those controls, guys. And, you know, if if you're serious about trying to get rid of these, these dang moles. Now, one thing, you won't see as much activity with moles this time of year when it gets cold because they go a little mm-hmm. deeper. Now, on warm days, you can see them back up close to the surface. So I guess my point is you might not see the activity out there this winter. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are gone. It might mean that they're just a little deeper than they were back in the summer and fall. You could just see their underground (laughs) digs. Oh, man. So (laughs) Just hanging out, waiting for it to warm up so they can come above and start trashing your yard, your trees, your hostas. And all the above. Well, yeah, but no, they're not eating anything. They're just disrupting the root system. Yeah, you bumping know, that, them over. That's on the mole. Yeah. Moles are just totally carnivorous. Right? Think of them as a hummingbird underground. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to eat a lot or they die. Yeah. If you grab, if you were to catch one and, and throw him in a box in a few hours, he'll start starving to death. Good. So, um, you know. so there, you just gave everybody a new way. Yeah, let's <laughs> just starve them. Now, the, the vole, the vole is the plant eater, and of course, he will use the mole run, which is you know conveniently dug for him. Right. So, so he just make it easier. See, moles and voles just go together. They're one of they're, you know. There's like in the ocean, you have to have this whale for this fish, or this bird has to be there so yeah. that bird can catch. So, kind of the but same. But I tell with you the moles what, I, I'd rather have ten moles than one vole. Because the voles are so destructive, because they'll eat the you know the roots right off of your plant. Which one you want, Jim? <coughs> well, I per- personally don't want either one. Um, but you're I, gonna I did have to this have year one, kill yeah. my the first vole that I've seen. This year, in, yeah, this January. Yep. Well, no. Oh, yeah, that's right. This is another year. Last year. <laughs> this is another in the fall. year. Um, <laughs> They're all blending now. But yeah, moles have traditionally been the issue that I've had. Just right. and they and they do disrupt so much. 
like with annuals right after you plant them it seems like you know you've got this loose soil and which encourages insects to the worms to come there because you know they're eating beetles they're eating uh, grubs they're eating earthworms centipedes right. anything like that so you know there's plenty of food there and of course your flower bed <clears throat> is the best soil that you've got in the yard which has the highest insect uh, and worm population, <laughs> which is just the smorgasbord for the, the moles. So that's, that's right. where they spend the time. Okay. Now, when they get out on your turf, they're feeding on basically June beetle grubs and, and uh, Japanese beetle grubs. And uh, one of the reasons that we're seeing more damage now, of course, is the fact that we, we've removed all their predators. Uh, but we're having such a high population of Japanese beetles now. Which come from a grub. Right. And, you know, with our June bugs, we used to have yeah, 7 to 12 per square foot, but it's not unusual of Japanese beetles to find 25 to 40 per square foot. So that's and that's reason, a lot. Yeah, and that's the reason they do a lot of damage to your turf, uh, particularly in the fall, and why mm-hmm. you're seeing mole, more mole damage because there's plenty of food for them. Yeah. And that's on, on mm-hmm. top of the June bugs that we've always had. Right. Yeah. You know, now we've got the Japanese beetles that, in, in, like Jim was saying, in the numbers that we've never had before. And I don't think that is going away. No, it's going to get worse. Okay, so what are mole predators? What, <clears throat> besides people? Snakes. <laughs> what? Yeah. And so... Neighbors cats. That's the thing, is we, we keep trying to <clears throat> eradicate everything, and then nobody has a predator mm-hmm. as well. And... So I'm thinking, okay, well, let's just sterilize our yard, yeah, and I'm that all way for it. we'll get no moles, right. or maybe let's allow some predators because it's not like it's a cobra snake that's going after your moles. Did I tell a you? A lot of people can't wouldn't or not don't care about the difference. I know <laughs> no, that's you the know? thing, and it's like we gotta we have to become a little more educated on this. Well, Mr. I, I tried no that. Shoulders is going to heaven regardless. <laughs> what is <laughs> Mr. No Shoulders? Oh. And, and I told y'all the story where I, I came home one afternoon, and the whole all the shrubs in front of my house had been beat to death, literally beat to death. Okay, and I'm like, what happened here? <laughs> well, my wife and my daughter were out there, and they thought they saw a snake. And I promise you, it was I think it was a lizard, okay? Mm-hmm. But they thought it was a snake. Well, they got the golf clubs and started beating the shrubs. I'm like, <laughs> what why? Happened? You know, and then if the snake, if it was a snake, a garden snake, king snake, probably just a very safe snake to have around the house, if he had come slithering out of there, of course, they would have dropped those clubs and ran anyway, okay? Yeah. So, I mean, I get it, you know, talking about having natural predators out there. Mm-hmm. But most people, when they see or hear the word snake, it ain't going to happen. And so yeah. that, that's the thing is people just, I don't know how, I mean, I, I'm sure it's going to change over time as a new culture. But when, when we were going from the bottom of the hill at Dad's up to the, the top of the hill at Granddad's or whatever, and, of course, we had snakes and spiders and fox and bobcats and, and what I'm, have I'm, you. I'm with you on and that. We were, and when you saw any critter, your thing was stop and get out of its way. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go kill it, you know, because it's got other duties. So, um, and then we learned which one should you really be wary of and which one should you let just walk by. Just walk by, and he's going to go take care of that other issue. But no, we're not like that. We're beating the heck out of shrubs with golf yep. clubs because we just haven't learned to to coexist with when, nature. When uh, when True. my Pueblin milk snake ate one of my birds, and Carol said the snake had to go, 
Uh, oh, it, uh, well, I wanted so one. much to release it in the yard and just mm-hmm. let it, you know, yeah. down one of the mole runs and yeah. just yeah. let it go eat what it can before winter killed it. Uh-huh. Uh, but oh. you know, I, I decided to know that, you know, some of my neighbors might have a heart attack or something. But it wouldn't have done, done you know, anything And first to thing a people person. look at it and they think, oh, coral snake, because yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's red next to black, not red next to yellow. Uh, so <laughs> that would make you kind of nervous, though. Yep. See, but it's all in the education thing. That's right. Just like, well, anyway, I guess we should go to a break. So anyway, take your gardening questions. Give us your comments. We'd love to hear it. Um, give us, leave us questions on Facebook Live. Mm-hmm. Tell uh, us your funny stories about snakes. <laughs> yeah, there's got to be something. I've got some funny snake stories. But anyway, we'll be right back. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome back. Give us a call 260-5926 or watch us on Facebook Live, Mighty 990. And um, so we've solved our critter problem. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, everybody just go get a snake, right? Yeah. Yeah. We wanted y'all to call and tell us about your funny snake stories. You know, I made a comment last week, y'all, about boxwood blight um, and how it could be a real thing here in the Mid-South. <laughs> we already know it's a real thing in the Virginias and the Carolinas and even in, you know, eastern Tennessee, um, but it's one of those things where I think eventually we're going to see it around here, as bad as I hate to say that. <laughs> but everybody that has boxwoods, you need to Google or look up and read about boxwood blight just to be aware of what we're talking about, okay? But the reason I'm bringing it up is uh, Dale Skaggs, the, uh, the director of Hort at the Dixon Gallery and Gardens, he's having some wonderful people come in on February the 18th. Put that one down yeah. on your calendar. <clears throat> and it's going to be a all-day event starting at 9 o'clock and going till about 4. Uh, but he's going to have people come in and talk about, and, it, and it's free to the public, by the way, uh, about boxwood blight. And really, I think it's going to also be talking about how to live with boxwood blight. And, you know, because mm-hmm. they're, I mean, everybody's thinking that sooner or later, <coughs> well, it's it's already we're going to have it, Jim. Yeah, we, you know, it's been documented now mm-hmm. in Shelby County. So uh, we just mm-hmm. it probably will be spring before we know the full extent of it. Um, the garden that it was found in, um, the people who work mm-hmm. in that garden and maintain it uh, have some 50 or 60 clients in that area. Lord. So, you know, if their tools were infected, then they have likely infected other plants. Because the spore, didn't you say the spore of this boxwood blight is a really heavy, sticky spore? It's very sticky. It sticks to everything. It's easily transmitted on your shoes, uh, and it can persist in the soil for up to six years or so before it actually makes itself known. So um, Mm. I think this next spring we'll uh, we'll see a number of gardens that have it. Uh, so what's just gonna, well, mark that one down guys, February the 18th from nine to four at the Dixon gallery and gardens, uh, free to the public. Uh, and there again, this is going to be about the boxwood blight. And it's one of those things where, you know, we eventually, it seems like we get things that we never had before. I mean, think Mm -hmm. about it years and years and years ago, you know, when I heard very first heard the word fire ant, I'm thinking we're never going to have fire ants around here. You know, they're all down in Mississippi and Florida and everywhere Texas, else. Texas, yeah. yeah, Texas. Well, you know, they're here, 
And then, you know, crepe myrtle bark scale. You know, we never had crepe myrtle bark scale, that particular scale that affects our crepe myrtles. Well, now we do. It's not going anywhere, you know, but we just learn how to manage uh, the the problems. But until we give up. Well, like, you know, exactly. Look at the emerald ash borer. We have spent billions of dollars trying to contain it. Uh, and been totally unsuccessful. So they've just now, in the last year, decided nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. We can't stop it. Let's don't throw any more money at it. So that's what I um, was thinking, too. Like, over time, maybe we can... It's going to be a progression of where we start not carrying shrubs that do that right? and start mm-hmm. replacing with shrubs that do it. But when do we get smart enough not to work ourselves to death trying to stop the problem when it can't be? Well, right. but I think knowledge is is the key, though, because, mm-hmm. I mean, just going back to even to the crate myrtle bark scale, the scale that's affecting our crate myrtles, that particular scale is affecting really just crate myrtles. And remember, guys, when it first came out, uh, we were really behind the eight ball because we won you know, really caught up with what this yeah. thing is and what it could do and what it will do. How long do. was it known before it came not, here? You know, Just a couple of years. Right, wow. not yeah. long at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, started in Texas and made its way through Arkansas, and then we got it. But, I mean, you know, I, I knew a lot of people when it first started, they were out there cutting crate myrtles down. Kind of yeah, like what Jim right. was talking about. They are just cutting them down. I'm not going to deal with just this. done with it. Um, cutting yeah. every one of my crate myrtles down where, you know, I, I can kind of see that. But there are alternatives. And hopefully, you know, we're not going to see the same thing happen with our beautiful mm-hmm. boxwoods. That's and what it, I'm getting at. And it's going to – it's with the crate myrtles, it's also, uh, like you said, how do we live with it? Because there are some crate myrtles that appear to be fairly resistant mm-hmm. to it. Right. Uh, even though they may be infected, it doesn't cripple them like it does some. Um, you know, of course, we've seen it now move. It it uh, it covers American beautyberry. It'll get on pomegranates. Uh, so it's. Um, I'm know. almost like let's not have crepe myrtles if they're going to mess up our beautyberries. Yeah, <laughs> you know. You know, and and it may adapt to and move to something else. You know. Good and, lord. Of course, I don't know. Have you have you seen any of the Japanese bark? Uh, Japanese maple Not bark yet. scale. I have it. Which yeah. affects Japanese maples. And mm-hmm. if you think it looks bad on a crepe myrtle, what do Ew. you see it when it's covered in Japanese maple? Oh, That's horrible. Ew. You can't see trunk. A... Well, and let me say this uh, on the Dixon's webpage. It says, during this day-long event, the most knowledgeable professionals in the industry will be discussing the history of boxwood, uh, landscape use, cultural information, including pest control. Uh, so it's going to be a really great seminar, a good day to be there. The current challenges of boxwood blight and successful strategies for living with this disease mm-hmm. uh, will be the most important topic of the day. So we'll just have to see what these experts uh, say and what's the uh, maybe the prognosis and what's the future for us, uh, especially with these beautiful boxwoods mm-hmm. that we have here in the Mid-South. Well, that'll be a thing, too, where maybe we don't plant as many crepe myrtles. And it's all going to be a progression of learning as well. There's some that seem to be very resistant. So we're just learning all kinds of ways. I think gardeners in the future and now are going to be more cautious on asking more questions on where we're going to plant things. So yeah. we don't um, actually invite the insects And, and to do come we in. really want to plant these things that are really problematic? We right. know they're going to be problematic from day one. Because it would be, okay, I want to plant this row of Leland Cypress. And you say, okay, ma'am, that's good, but Leland Cypress have these issues 
but potential. You can, yeah, potential issues. But you can hire somebody to just work on those issues every year. You can just keep paying them to do the same thing every year. So you won't have problems with your Leland Cypress because you have to have your Leland Cypress because your neighbor <laughs> has them. So how about let's think of a whole different direction. You're use right. a different plant and then you don't have to pay the maintenance on it every year and on down the line. So we're just learning. And you made me think of auto-looking laurels. I mm-hmm. love that shrub. But how many dead auto-looking laurels do you see every year? because of inadequate drainage uh, or staying too wet. We see them all the time, where a lot of people that used to have autolucans, which I still love the shrub, don't get me wrong, and it's beautiful if you plant it the right way, but you're seeing a lot of people replace those with what you said a while ago, distilliums. Mm -hmm. You know, just because you're not going to have the same problems with a distillium that you would and will with an autolucan laurel. Well, I noticed a 60-year-old doesn't like the look of a distillium, but a 25-year-old loves the look of a distillium. Yeah, they don't know any better. Right. Or or we know too much. But there are some, there's so many different varieties out there on the market now. And there are some that are really good looking to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the Cinnamon Girl and Blue Girl and some of those that have, you know, the smaller leaves. But they're, they, they're, it's a good-looking shrub. Well, and then some, another something else that happened where uh, someone was working on making green spaces in their area, and they ended up planting monoculture. So, therefore, it didn't work for sustainability and all that because they just planted one variety. When you have one variety of nature, then you don't have the normal. Kind of like the Leland Cypress 20 years ago. Everybody had 30 of them in their landscape. Mm -hmm. And you wonder why when canker disease came around, it just decimated all of them because there were so many out there. We defeated all our purpose on that. Okay, well, got any comments on that? We'd love to hear them. You can call us and tell us about them, or um, you could leave a message with Claire, and we can read it off the board, Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Is that like a 60s music? I can just see people flopping around yeah. with the weird colors. They just running here, dancing on the floor, running around. Where she gets all this energy from? Well, I, I do not to, know. until we put a camera in here, yeah. and then now I feel stifled. Yeah, she better. I'm like, don't move. Oh, wait, can I do that? Oh, Jim, be careful. Don't lean that way. You're going to be on the camera. No. Um, <laughs> Wendy Johnston texted in, and she said, when should we start uh, treating azaleas for a pest? We are going to use the drench. Oh, okay. When and, to treat it for a pest. And probably the pest uh, is she's talking about is probably lace bug. You know, azaleas are just notorious about getting that. Um, but as far as the drench goes, I mean, even though you can technically use the drench any time, uh, the best time, Wendy, is going to be waiting until, uh, I would say, you know, mid to late March, even early April. Yeah. Um, mid-March in that area because you, you when, once you mix this product with water, and this is the same drench that we pour around crepe myrtles, you can pour around shrubs, you do want the roots to absorb the product. Okay. Yeah, that would be helpful. Yeah, and um, so, I mean, but so if you go out there and do it this now, time of year, mid- if you go out there and do it this time of year, the roots they will absorb it and hold it, but they're not going to move it through the plant tissue. So 
Uh, long story short, I'd wait till uh, early to mid-March uh, to use that product on the azaleas. Yeah, and so she's looking for, like, control of the lace bug and all of that. Yeah, sure. Yeah. What about, I was just thinking. Before, well, I'll ask y'all instead of having to think <laughs> it. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> so you have, say, azaleas in containers, like um, container gardens. Mm, three-gallon azaleas in a five-gallon pot or three-gallon azaleas in a 10-gallon pot. And they've got lace bugs. Right. Can I use a systemic in a container? Absolutely. That's what the, the houseplant granules are. Yeah. It's imidacloprid granules. So, see, that, that's a lot of people have been worried, and I yeah. get questions now, about that. You'll figure only about four months control because you're flushing so much water through it. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas with the shrubs, you'll get much longer, typically a growing season yeah, yeah sometimes as little as six months just depends on mm-hmm. on what plant it is yeah um, and so it would probably be uh, you could can you could put it now but it's not going to do anything well, but it'll stay yeah it, it, it is actually right? going to do something because your sap uh-huh. your sap starts rising long before you get mm-hmm. bud swell okay right i guess that would happen yeah, yeah. uh you know, as we talked about in trees, if you're treating trees, you know, the really the best time to do it is when the soil's <coughs> not frozen in January and February, mm-hmm. because sap has to move to those buds before that bud will open. Right. Okay. Yeah. It has to get those sugars up there. So that chemical will be carried with that sugar up mm-hmm. to the top of the tree long before it has foliage. Yeah. So you have it in place. For things like phylloxera that attack the bud when it mm-hmm. first opens. Yeah. Um, uh, you mean like on a pecan tree? Like on a yeah. pecan tree <clears throat> or edelgids or, or something like that, that that's going to attack very early in the season. If you wait and put that down in March, it could be even May before it actually gets to the top of the tree. Yeah. But if you waited, then you might miss it being you, pulled you up. You would miss the, the, the time to treat things like mm-hmm. phylloxera. Yeah. So it's better to put it down January, February, like so. Yeah, well, what about Wendy with her azaleas, though? I mean, it's you know, being well, it, it, it doesn't take as long exactly to get to, exactly. That's my point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you know, by applying it in March, it's just immediately going to be taken up, basically, and moved because again, your flower buds are not going to open until sugars move up there and make that possible. And we're talking about mm-hmm. a product called Tree and Shrub Insect Drench. Right. That's the name of the product. Now, it's the same stuff as you'll hear people talking about bear. Yeah. Uh, a right? But it's uh, it's made by the same company, but it's a lot cheaper mm-hmm. because when you if you go to Home Depot or someplace like that, the largest you're going to find is a quart. Yeah, you that's know, not enough for really. most plants. That's yeah. not near enough, yeah. you know. But if you go to the independent garden centers, you'll find two and a half gallons right. of it. We sell mm-hmm. tons of gallons and, and two and a half so gallons. So much yeah. cheaper, you know. Yeah. If you buy one and keep it for four or five years to, before you use it all, but it is a product that you don't have to spray. All you do is mix and pour. And, and you're right. Right at the base of the plant. That's now. exactly right. That's Not around the drip line. Which right. is which seems, at first, I was asking, are y'all sure that's correct? Because aren't all the feeder roots out? You know, drip line, we have to do everything on the drip line. How is this going to work applying it to the trunk? Because and you, you get, said. You get so much chemical right there, and it's readily absorbed through the bark and, and the trunk of the tree. Mm-hmm. So all the chemical is right there. If you spread it out over the drip line, you don't know whether roots are under there or not. Yeah, yeah. right. You know? But here, you'll have all of the chemical ac- uh, available to the plant by having mm-hmm. it right next to the trunk. Yeah. So, and and then that's uh, a lot of people that listen to me know that I'm 
really work on the organic end more. But this is one that you just have to go with because if you're using this and it's working through the plant, it's not going into the soil. It's not going into the air. You don't have to use more water. You don't have to use more energy. It's all right there. So that's in uh, retro or that's keeping up with the rules of trying to protect mm. your your right. place. Now, now yeah. you, you will see some information out there about fears that it moves into the pollen and kills their pollinators. Mm-hmm. Well, that was a big deal early yeah. on. Yeah, yeah. but th- that's partially true. But most of the time, it's not true. Okay? But it's going to be less than if you just spray everything. Right. Well, it's never. No, it's not normally ever sprayed. It's used as a root right. treatment but she, but, or a. But Beta's saying a, that a could be treatment. even a better way to go than going out there with a backpack mm-hmm. or hose and sprayer and just spraying everything down with a different type product. Right. Right. Um, it's. University of Arkansas did some research where they sprayed, they treated cotton, soybean, and corn with imidacloprid, treated the seed as a seed. And that's what's in this product. Right. It treated it as a, a seed coat. Okay, mm-hmm. And that's the way it's usually used. Um, what they found was that in the cotton and soybean, there was no chemical in the pollen or the nectar of those. There was an extremely small amount made it into the pollen of corn, hmm. but well below what we would consider toxic to a plant, I mean, mm-hmm. to an insect. Because there again, the big thing they were saying early on was, okay, this product being systemic, drawn up through the roots into the plant, but it, it's, d- it, it was getting into even the pollen. So when the bees come up there to do their job, it was affecting the bees. It was killing the bees, that, is what they were saying. That's right. But that's not really what was happening. You know, if you look at in Canada, they grow 19 million acres of um, of rapeseed for for canola oil and for honey. Mm-hmm. It's used to grow honey because it doesn't hurt the bees. Okay, mm-hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't move well into the reproductive parts of plants. Uh, we know that by looking at roses. If you s- treat your rose with it japanese beetles that feed on the leaf will die but if they feed on the flower they'll mm-hmm. move on to talk to their you know friends <laughs> and go to another flower because the chemical do- doesn't get enough chemical through that barrier at at getting into the reproductive part to do it that's why it can be used on nut trees and why it can be used on peaches because it doesn't cross that barrier to get into the fruit so this whole thing jim that we were hearing early on when people started using this on a large scale because they're, again, of crepe myrtle bark scale. Because it's really the only product that's going to get crepe myrtle bark scale. But you can use it on so many other things. Well, we started hearing these reports, no, 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 don't use this product. It's really bad because it's killing all the bees out there. And they were blaming the bee population decline on this one that's, product. Well, yeah. And there was a, there was a report came out of, out of uh, Yale that were this guy uh, – he did, he did some tests, and he ch- was trying to prove that colony collapse disorder, right. uh, where just suddenly the bees disappear, was related to imidacloprid. Right. Um, and and it, it was a poorly done test, and, and uh, he wasn't a scientist. Um, but anyway, you know, even— but those papers got out, and people— Oh, yeah, he became the poster child of, right. you know, for protecting the bees. And even uh, the guy who is head of Xerxes, um, Xerxes Foundation for Invertebrate Conservation, uh, he said, you know, this is bad science. There is no evidence that ties this to that. Now, if you treat 
some flowers, it may get into it, and mm-hmm. there is a possibility that it they could get enough. But it's highly unlikely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're saying never say never, right? Yeah. To me, the benefit far outweighs the risk. Right. So that's the thing that we have to think about because things have to be done right. to keep you know, us coexisting together, but we're just having to constantly research and learn and get educated more of it and then pick pick the, the lesser. Right. You uh, know. Yeah. And, and and people say, well, I'm not seeing any honeybees in my yard. Well, guess what? They're an invasive species. They shouldn't be there in the first place. You should have mm-hmm. native bees there. Okay. So, yeah, any bees that are coming into your yard or because somebody nearby happens to have a hive right. or you've got a wild population uh, that's that's coming to it. But they're probably the single largest reason for our native bee decline because they feed so heavily and travel so far away mm-hmm. from their fi- and Bee people don't like to hear that. Yeah. You know? yeah. But unfortunately, there's science to back that up. But we still also mm-hmm. say, though, uh, and let's say you're not even doing a drench, but you're, you're doing a spray. Uh, whether you buy a product that's ready to spray, a concentrate that you mix yourself, and whether you're spraying through a hose-in applicator or a pump-up type sprayer. We always say, regardless of what you're spraying, especially if it's an insecticide, try to spray early morning or late in the afternoon. Don't spray uh, when the bees are active. And I don't care what you're spraying it on. I don't care if you're spraying it on evergreens, hollies, mimosa trees, whatever. (laughs) You just try to spray early morning or late in the afternoon. Uh, But especially if you're spraying things like, you know, fruit trees or or roses, Jim, or, or things that really attract bees, um, most of the insecticides that we use are going to be harmful to bees that we spray, okay? So that's why, there again, you want to make sure that you're trying to do the best you can to target your spraying and also spray at the right times to where you're not mm-hmm. potentially killing a lot of the good pollinators that are out there. All right. Yeah. And people tend to worry about honeybees. Well, how are we going to pollinate our crops? Well, honeybees are a crop, okay? Farmers don't leave that to chance. They either are raising their own honeybees and have land dedicated to feed those honeybees when their crops are not on, or they're hiring companies to bring beehives in. True story. You know, they say that something like 75%, and we're talking millions of honeybee hives, are moved to Southern California in, in basically the middle of winter to pollinate the almond crop. Yeah, and it's such a big business there. And then we move those back across the country, fertilizing, uh, pollinating crops as they go. So, you know, the bees are actually a crop. They're mm-hmm. not, you know, this isn't left to chance. And we wonder why almonds are so expensive, right. all the water and transporting the bees. Right. And last year, last winter was tough. About 40% of the beehives died last mm-hmm. year. And that's that's high. Because Typic- of, more because of weather. Because of weather, stress, and other things, yeah. you know, the, the varroa mite and, and things mm-hmm. like that. So there are other insecticides are a stress on them like anything else but they are not the major cause of our bee loss all right okay well y'all we're going to run to a break give us a call call 260-5926 if you want to hear that again listen to our podcast we'll be right back Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Yeah, there's, um, and I'm glad to, to hear that there's newer things coming out. So one thing that I experienced with my son this week, so his patio is over this uh, 
We sit at the patio and you can see the lake, big lake and all. She's bragging because she's yeah. been down in Florida. Right. Mm-hmm. It was How so nice. beautiful. Yeah. But, you know, all the wonderful birds you're, you're seeing up around the, um, in the, the grasses up against the pond. Or, here I go with the word loss again. All the thickets and everything that yeah. are in the water up against mm-hmm. the shore and all. That's where all the beautiful birds are nesting and singing and eating and playing and enjoying life is all in all those thickets and everything. Well, um, and so he knows all the names of the birds. Him and my granddaughter have um, binoculars and all that. So it's just it's a big, wonderful thing. Except for now, he is just in duress like you would not believe because they've went through and cleaned all the thickets out, uh, sprayed. He doesn't know what they've sprayed, but, you know, of course, you're going to automatically think they sprayed a bunch of chemicals in the pond to get rid of the weeds and all that. So now they've, he's, they've eradicated the, the dreaded food. roundup. Yeah, yeah, but we don't know what it was. <laughs> we don't know, you know, or anything. But this is just what a person is seeing. You know, you just killed my habitat. He's feeling, he's thinking, you know, because now where all the babies are going to be poisoned, the the ducks aren't going to have anywhere to lay their eggs in, Um, you know, all this wildlife and everything they've just ruined by spraying. Where are the ducks now and on down the line? So, you know, what did they spray? And are they going to really tell you what they sprayed? But also if you research, there's um, new biological things that work with the nature to hold back the weeds, but doesn't kill all the animals. But, I mean, you see the point of we don't even know what's happening anymore because he just feels like the whole, I mean, they took the wildlife out when when they killed all the grasses and stuff. What happens? Well, but I can tell you, though, that you're right in good points, but when it comes to insecticides and even fungicides and even herbicides as far as that goes, the products that we're using now overall are so much better and so much safer uh, than the products that we were using years ago. Roundup's Mm -hmm. approved for use around drinking water, um, you know, for use in the water. Um, So, I mean, it's as far as toxicity to humans, it's, it's, uh, it's not well, but you know mm-hmm. the stigma. Anytime you hear the word Roundup now, oh, Jim. Um, but now, but but they're coming out with products like Decimate, which is uh, what glucophate instead Glufosinate. of glyph- yeah, instead of glyphosate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's very similar to Roundup, but it's not Roundup. Uh, and then there are a lot of organic products out there. Burnout, for example, uh, that Bonide makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a non-selective herbicide that you use just like you would Roundup, except it's completely organic. There's some organic products out there that are selective. They'll only kill targeted uh, weeds. Uh, now, and I'm not even saying that it has to be organic to be safe, because we all know that even organic products you still got to be careful mm-hmm. with. Uh, they all can hurt Too you. much of anything. Exactly. Right. But, uh, but overall, the products that we're using now, I mean, you know, they're, they just seem like they're just, if you read about the product and the, what, the LD50, uh, the toxicity of these products, uh, they're just so much better, so much safer than the products that we sprayed even 20, 30 years ago. So much better. Right. You know, the FDA's come out with a new classification of toxicity called G.R.A.S. grass. And it is um, stands for generally regarded as safe. <laughs> So generally, generally regarded, regarded as, as safe. I mean, a skateboard's generally regarded as safe. Generally. Yeah, to I mean, get on it. Right. You know, <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. We, all, we also have to think about in terms like that. We are freaked out on something, you know, like, oh, well, that's generally regarded as 
Okay, full soldier, washing machine. It could fall down on you when you're taking it up the stairs. There's always something. But anyway, on some of these new biological um, things that were that's coming out, um, it's the rating is GRAS, yeah, generally it, regarded as safe. Well, but even some of the or, organic or, organophosphates, you know, like the old diazonon. I mean, diazonon. Oh, good old diazonon. Yeah, but remember, we sprayed diazonon for <laughs> everything. everything, whether it was on edibles and whether it was on indoors, indoors outdoors. Out, I mean, we sprayed yeah. it everywhere. Named it different things. But it but was a, an organophosphate, <laughs> which is one of those classes that you got to be a little careful with. Well, the products that replaced diazonon uh, is mostly your, you know, your permethrin class. Well, Dursban first, and then it got... Yeah, like Dursban, Lindane, Saigon, Y'all Dazenon. are pronouncing in these things God, southern, southern ways. All the, you know, they're just all, make you warm and fuzzy. They're Dursban. all off the market. I mean, they're gone. But that's my point, though, is the products that we're using now that, that really replaced those products that they took off the market are so much safer than what we used to use. Mo- yeah, and clarify one thing. Most of these products are still available. They're just not available to homeowners right. anymore. That's right. Because homeowners yeah. are usually the ones that really abuse it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 If More one, than anybody if, else. If one mm-hmm. tablespoon kills, oh, four tablespoons has got to make them deader. Yep. yep. And then one just <laughs> in case on top of that. Yep. <laughs> yeah, deader. Uh, you remember years <laughs> ago when, guys, uh, something as simple as a Lenten rose. Remember mm-hmm. that? How they went in there and they started hybridizing all these Lenten yes. roses. You know, you don't see just the old standard Lenten rose anymore. Pink, I mean, white, there's so yeah. many out there. Well, they've done really, in my opinion, the same thing to gardenias. They just yeah. have. Yeah. You know, back in the day, you know, you would have the August Beauty or the Mystery Gardenia. The one that's get five foot tall, five foot wide, big, beautiful, white, fragrant blooms. There are so many gardenias on the market now, it will make your head spin. It does. Just looking at the list makes me crazy. You know, (laughs) but there again, a lot of times when we start getting these new varieties, uh, genetically, a lot of times they are better in some cases than the old ones that we used 30 years ago. And when I say better, they could be a little more cold tolerant. Mm-hmm. They could actually be a little more disease resistant, a little more insect resistant. So the reason I'm bringing this up is you will see a lot of gardenias on the market now. Uh, you know, the jubilations, the frost proof, the fool proof, the azaleas, I mean, gardenias. gardenias. Okay. So don't don't bypass those things. I mean, they right, are yeah. really good hybrid gardenias. And we have a really good list in the file section mm-hmm. on our in mid self gardening um, about the gardenias, yeah. Jim, the gardenias. different ones. Right. Yep. So. And uh, also on this next hour coming up, all three of us together are going to help you build a drought resistant landscape, little area, and it's not so boring as you think. Just rocks and mangobies. There's others. We'll be right back. <laughs> The garden help you need. Now, Mid-South Gardening on the Mighty 990, powered by Palladio Home and Garden, with your hosts, Veda Vance, Kenneth Mabry, and Jim Crowder. Good morning. Welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. We're in our third hour, which I love it that we can spend all this time talking 
to y'all on Saturday mornings and all the great subjects we get to go over. So we'd love for y'all to give us a call and let us know what you've been wondering. And 260. What is it? 260-5926. Yes. And uh, Jim's the does the Facebook page, Mid-South Gardening. Fantastic information. you got to check it out. We and I'm a, going to the uh, Mighty 990 Facebook page as we speak. And um, there's Miss Veda uh, hey, right y'all. there, front you know, and center. And, and tell your friends all across the country they can listen to us live at kwamradio.com. So we are not just a local program. Yeah, and it's fun to see where all of our listeners are. I love it. I yeah. want you, some of y'all to uh, uh, call in sometime and uh, give us some questions from your areas. Yeah. Like the villages of Florida was <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there was um, another really, in, well, New York, New York. Yep. That was interesting. But we have a caller would love to know, when do we cut hostas back? It's a great question. I mean, when you cut, you know, a lot of the perennials back. But, you know, hostas are one of these things that typically, you know, after some cold weather, they're going to die down to the ground. The leaf just turns brown and it just dies to the ground. Uh, a lot of people go out there and actually cut them back as they just start to die back uh, in the, you know, what did I say, late fall, early winter. Mm-hmm. Now, if you haven't cut them back yet, you can still cut that old brown foliage off of there. You can do it now just to clean yeah. them up more for aesthetic reasons Brown's than anything else. smelly, yeah. mushy foliage. <laughs> and, and, you know, and same thing, you know, Jim was talking about when you cut banana trees back. Well, I've got a banana tree in my backyard in the corner, hardy banana. I forgot all about the thing, y'all. Mm-hmm. It is just a mush pile right now and i've got to get out there and clean that thing up but hostas uh jim when's your favorite time to cut them back you well, cut them back before they start to die back or no, is it as they're dying back no. you, you know, unless i'm you know if i get one right at the front door that has a yellow leaf on it carol yeah. will cut it off just so it makes it look better right but normally you know most of them i don't clean them up until they just totally turn to mush yeah till they yeah. started brandy. and a lot yeah. of them i just let them become mush and you know become mm-hmm. compost yeah you know I hate to interfere with a nice nice plan, and, you know, they decompose right there just fine. Yeah, but you can cut them back, though, as yeah. they start to die back late fall, early winter. Yeah. Or you can go out there and do it now if you haven't done it. Uh, but the foliage, uh, a lot of times, like Jim said, it just turns to mush and turns into compost. Mm-hmm. So, Well, we were talking about earlier on building a drought-tolerant landscape if or just say even one a low watering landscape and a lot of times we just immediately think it's going to be just a couple of yopon hollies and a couple of cactus and then you know who wants that type of landscape yuccas stuck in there right and you know you're just thinking why would i even want to do that but there i think we're just been given this vision of that's what it looks like and that's it but a low watering landscape has so much more than cactus and just round hollies you know, and like for me, some of them that I'm wanting to go with now are the agaves that uh, Jim's like been experimenting with and playing with. And I'm loving those. But you can also have lush and green and drought tolerant, too. And then also you need to think about your uh, you still have to soil prep, even though you're doing in a drought tolerant situation. You better. Yeah. So, um, you know, we know that and, and you can mix. You can do like a yucca and an ornamental grass, and a coneflower, all in the same drought-resistant bed. A lot of people are, are not seeing how you can, you don't only have to have a cactus drought-tolerant bed, or you don't only have to have a perennial drought-tolerant. We can we can start mixing things together. And Jim, you've got some agave, uh, you said a, like a whale's tail, whales, and maybe another. Tongue, yeah. Is there anything else in that bed that 
you are were you very careful as far as what you selected to put in that particular bed? Uh, well, things that like to have good drainage. You know, our soil does not drain well, so this is an elevated Naturally. bed. You know, yeah. uh, my lavender is growing in there. Yeah. Uh, I've got uh, a couple of I've got a little dwarf ornamental penicetum in there. Uh, I've got red hot poker. I've got. Um, uh, I've got the red yucca, Hesperolo, yeah. that has so the, the red yuccas, flowers. So the yucca, the ornamental grasses. I love that red you know, yucca. Yeah. The blooms yeah. are beautiful. Um, and There's uh, other varieties of the, yeah, the color also, guard yucca. There's some dahlias in that bed that come back every so year. So you wouldn't wow. think. I wouldn't go, see, okay, that's why we're asking. I'm going, you've got a dahlia in a drought-resistant yeah. bed. Yeah, It, it better it, be uh, well-drained drained because they're well. not going to come back if it's not. Yeah. Well, you know, last year... All of mine came back except one. Because it didn't rot in the winter. In Is that, that cold, it? it was protected by mm-hmm. the snow. And, you know, and I didn't do any additional mulching other than just what was there. Uh, and every one of them survived. Uh, so I, and, and this bed's got a couple. It's got a beautiful, huge purple and a huge yellow in this bed. Mm, nice. uh, I also have a clumping bamboo on the back side of it. And, uh, and say that again, clumping, clumping bamboo, bamboo, meaning yes. that... This one, it, it, it does spread, but it doesn't run, okay, so that it pops up in the neighbor's yard or on the other side of the drive, okay? The, it's just kind of like an ornamental grass. Yeah. The clump gets bigger each year. But I want people to understand that there are different varieties of bamboo out there, right. some that will take over, like you said, and some that are more clump-forming right. that you can manage actually pretty darn easy. Yeah, most of the clump formers, uh, clump forms are not hardy here. Yeah, um, there are a whole lot of really good ones that you just can't grow here, um, but there are some that are quite hardy. Um, there's one, uh, and you'll see it in every nursery: bamboos and multiplex, which is uh, they they when you look at the label that, that comes from like Bracy's Nursery, they they say ten to twelve feet tall, mm-hmm. um, but actually it'll get thirty feet tall. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's you know, but it, it's a good plant. Now this year, mine's already burned. The foliage is brown. In fact, I posted some for Foliage Friday, which we have every every week. Um, I posted pictures of three different bamboos. Both the clumpers have already browned, but they're root hardy. They'll come right back up, and they'll be, they'll be tall by the end of the season. And, and last year was a, you know such an anomaly because I saw bamboo that looked completely dead. Yeah, and I'm thinking, hold on. Mm-hmm. Did it get cold enough to kill bamboo here in the Mid-South? And, of course, the answer was no. no. It burned the foliage. And some of them got burned down, but they came back from yeah. the root. But you're saying, Jim, to make sure if you get some clumping bamboo to get the ones that are hardy in this area. Yeah, that are zone 8A or 7B hardy. Those, you've got a real, they're, they're going to be root hardy almost every year unless it's, we have, a, again, an anomaly like we had last right. year. And but then, like, on, on the drought-tolerant bed, I'm not like referring to that you see you've got an area in your yard that you go, well, that's rock hard. It's so hot and dry. Nothing will grow there. Right. I'm not referring to planting plants for that area, I mean, which is a good thing. But I'm more referring to as you're building your landscape and if you're wanting to have a low water landscape, you still have to prep first. Uh, right. You but still have to prep. So many of the drought tolerant plants though will not tolerate wet feet yeah and, and which we're gonna have as well our, our slow drainage and yeah. our clay here just doesn't lend itself to so many of those plants now veda would you you know and, and you've done landscaping forever um 
when you when you say that, are you saying okay, I can actually do the whole landscape mm-hmm. as far as a drought tolerant landscape or we're talking about just vignettes out there that are drought tolerant well you know you could say both but you can definitely do an entire landscape like that but um at the same time i'm also saying that you can have different variables of landscape in one yard gotcha because it's really all about the way you're prepping your soil and the and the goal that you're making with that one do you want a rain garden do you want drought tolerant do you want your lush little garden you don't have to irrigate the entire yard to have this lush little garden you just make that section your lush garden and and well and one thing that i wrote down you know that also is drought tolerant is the uh the orange rocket barberry it's something yeah. about that barberry and jim you were mentioning barberry earlier people planted them too it. close to the walkway mm-hmm. and we had constantly cut them back and they had thorns on them but this one in particular y'all it, it, it's kind of a uh, orangey yellow or reddish orange foliage and it really shows up and it's a beautiful that's, accent plant that's the thing is people think you can't have color in drought gardens but uh, right oh, there you yeah. most definitely can and mm-hmm. and i was it looking, is stunning it is color. stunning and it's just orange rocket barberry you know gets uh you know four to five to six to seven foot tall and about two foot wide. And the beauty of it is it's more vertical. It's more yeah. like a sky pencil holly. Yeah. yeah. You know, but it's yeah. you can get those vertical lines You're out there. You're selling me on the plant. You know, I'm telling yeah. you. But Veda, uh, I saw some in containers. Mm-hmm. And the word that I'm fixing to say, people, you know, they just want to punch you in the mouth every okay, time you I'm say ready. the word. I'm ready. You know, it's the word Nandina, okay? Oh, yeah. Slap, yeah. there it goes. <laughs> But there are some really good-looking new varieties of Nandina. It doesn't have to be the old-fashioned Nandina domestica mm-hmm. that got six foot tall, six foot wide, took over the house, right? Yeah. doesn't have to be that variety. The two that I really like, there's one called Lemon Lime that has mm-hmm. a kind of a, a yellowish-green foliage. Real and then pretty. there's one called Flirt. And Obsession is a pretty one also. But I guess my point is, a lot of these new varieties of Nandina can also be incorporated either in the landscape, very heat and drought tolerant, as you know, or in containers with some of these accent colors like the orange, you know, rocket barberries. Can you imagine how gorgeous? Okay, the orange rocket barberry for the tallness. Yeah. So you got the orange, then the yellow. That's my point. And then you can add... um, Gosh, orange! You can get hucaras in there, or whatever, or right? And you can just have explosion of color. But some of and these, it'll be drought. <laughs> it <too>. will be. <laughs> but some of these old plants, like barberry, you know, who hasn't had crimson pygmy barberry in mm-hmm. their landscape before? But some of these newer varieties are so attractive and so hardy. That's what yeah. I love about them. And the same thing with, dare I say the word again? Some of these nandinas, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, be aware that there are some nice varieties out there that's not like the old hat that we've seen, yeah. you know, forever. The same old, same old barberry yeah. that you see where people planted in the wrong place, and they're supposed to be like five feet by four feet, but they're really two by two, and they're sticking out from under another shrub. And exactly. that's why we don't like barberry. But when we actually get the ones that fit here properly and put in the proper place, you love them because then they look right. That's exactly right. So keep that in mind. And there again, and, and I like the verticality of them all. 
also. It's not just this round plant. You know, you're getting this taller so I plant. know, the verticality. You, Both Jim and I are like, Well, but I mean, but you're getting still my that. heart. I didn't hear you say. <laughs> well, but you, a lot of people are round. looking for those type <laughs> plants, you know, especially as a backdrop or whatever. See, I've got vertical on my, my list, but verticality is so much nicer. We'll be right back. <laughs> Y'all do. Good morning. Welcome back. I kind of like that groovy That's music. Good, good music. Yeah. So I know y'all are working on your uh, New Year's resolutions, you know. So like we were saying earlier, the easiest one that solves every re- New Year's resolution you have. What, you want to get healthy? Mm-hmm. You wanted to um, eat healthier? You definitely needed to stretch you want to go do something that's good for the environment. But gosh, that's so overwhelming. You know, how am I going to do all that? Well, you know how. We're just, just going to go garden. Yep. Just go out in the garden. You get your exercise. You get to uh, grow your vegetables, eat healthy. Um, oh, well, you know, I was saying that, okay, since my son's like 35, and so you, I go hang around with that younger crowd, and here was a perfect time for me to ask these kids, what is it that you're wanting because they were enamored because I could do a gardening radio show new about gardening. And I said, what is it? And they're looking at you like you're an alien. You know? Yeah, but no, they used to. But now I'm like, what is it that you're wanting to get out of gardening now? I said, I'm sure it's houseplants. And, and all of them were like, no, I want to know how to grow my food. I want to eat my own food. I just want to eat my own food. So they go, I'm not asking you to tell me how to landscape the front of my house. I mean, I want it to look fine, but I want to know I'm going to grow edibles. My landscape's going to be mostly edibles. And that's and been going on for quite a while. How many yards have a garden in them now? I'm talking at about a vegetable something. garden. Yeah, I mean, most something. of them do. Yeah. And then... The ones that didn't, it seemed like last year, Jim, as you know, when this pandemic started, mm-hmm. everybody was at home. Oh, they yeah. were sitting in their house. They're like, nope, this is not going to work. I'm getting uh-huh. outside. I'm going to make a plot here. I'm going to add some good compost, some lime, some fertilizer. I'm going to grow some vegetables out here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, a lot of that, of course, there are some people that have done it forever. But it just seems like it's really caught on uh, here yeah. lately, though, in the last, you know, five or six yeah. years, everybody's doing it. Yeah, you know, my my buddy here uh, during the week, Tim Van Horn, his wife has just really gotten focused on, on doing a vegetable garden. Uh, she got a, uh, uh, recently got a composter, you know. Oh, yeah. She's just so excited about how much stuff she's putting in there and it's disappearing, you know. As far as the compost <laughs> goes, this is just great, but... You know, we've laid out how she's going to do her garden uh-huh. for next spring. She's got some drainage issues we got to work around. But, um, you know, she's uh, she's just That's so, so excited. And, and the children are, are excited about doing this, exactly. too. Exactly. So. And even on a smaller scale, uh, you know, if you don't have the plot out there, the raised beds or whatever, a lot of people are doing it in containers also. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's easy to do, whether it's just three or four tomatoes that you might have out there. They're still your tomatoes, okay? You're taking yeah, care of them. exactly. So, uh, yeah. Because it's not only about feeding yourself as well. It's also a hobby. It's something to talk about. It's good for the environment. You know, things have to have uh, multi-uses, too. Yeah, Like I told a girl, um, holly works good. She goes, well, what else will the holly do? Mm-hmm. You know, it's got to have multiple purposes. I just don't want it just to be doing one thing. So what they told you really doesn't surprise yeah. me, Veda. Right, right. And you know? um, Or even things have to look 
good. I mean, people, we used to buy tchotchkes. We used to buy tchotchkes, set them around just because they're pretty. But they didn't do anything but sit there and collect dust. Now, if you're buying something pretty, it needs to be uh, multi-used as well. You know, like now, I sell a lot of expensive watering cans, which in the past was bizarre. But they want their watering can to work. But they also want it to be part of their art in their house Uh as well, which I get that. I like that. I understand but, that. I got yeah. a new recliner just for Christmas. See? Of course, I wanted it with massage and heat. Yeah, but God. it needed to look good in your house. It yeah. couldn't just sit there, That's right? right. Yeah. But it also heats up and massages. That's a good point. So, yeah. Um, but And I keep saying the younger gardeners, but all of us are like that. It's just that we're evolving to a new, uh, new ideas and things in the garden. So I am actually thinking I'm going to do a whole redo of my patio this year um, using some verticality. There you go. I was just going to say vertical gardening, but I like the verticality. And this is going to be all in containers you're talking about. Yeah, but I'm going to do some more vertical ideas or thoughts, um, trying to grow more upright, choosing some different containers. I'm going to have like old pallets. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've seen people use old pallets. Can you imagine me yeah. going up the stairs with a big old pallet on? Yes, I can. But the the you know how about those uh, the shoe things that you would hang on the back of the closet? You could stick your shoes in there. Well, now they're making cloth ones like that that are pretty that you can hang on your patio that you feel full of soil and put your plants plants in there yeah so there's your verticality and you could do your herbs all your herbs hanging on the wall right there but don't use i mean you could use the shoe one but it'd be really better to use the one made for it when you see these type things in magazines and think well you know that's a really good idea but that's not much soil mass for that plant that's true you know and when you're talking about even a small basil plant you you've got Mm -hmm. a lot of roots going to suck a lot of moisture out of that so it's going to be a it's going to be beautiful the day you put it together, but then it's going to be a maintenance nightmare. Yes, it right, is. They're talking about know, just the watering aspect of it. Right. Well, that's the thing. I could water. I could work all day on my mother's patio, and because there was so much maintenance, as I could in a yard, mm-hmm. I could work all day in the yard or all day on her patio. But if she didn't have her patio, then she would have nothing. So it was worth all the extra maintenance and the replacing, especially if you do herbs in little pockets because you're cutting and harvesting them all the time. And then some herbs are only good for a couple of months or a season. So you can get away with that a little more than you can growing shrubs or tomatoes. You couldn't grow it in a little pocket. Well, (laughs) no, but I mean, but there again, I mean, there's so many different types of containers out there, you know, whether it's a clay pot, whether it's a plastic pot, whether it's a low bowl, you know, that are just low and wide. I mean, there's so many different types of containers out there. And Veda uh, and Jim, and what we always talk about, regardless of the container, is two things you really need to think about. Well, really three is good drainage, mm-hmm. using a good, high-quality potting medium, yeah. not just some cheap bag of topsoil. Don't start your plants <laughs> that way. And then, uh, you know, adequate sunlight. And usually if you're doing just those three th- simple things, you can grow some great-looking stuff in these containers, whether it's herbs or whatever. That's true. You know, I just got off the uh, – we were still – I was still coming up with plants for our drought-tolerant tol- garden. So – Lavender? Yeah, we had the lavender the, – the um, poker plant, which Jim said. I was, I was thinking – The red-hot poker. Because yeah. that would give you such uh, color it blooms, and structure. It really blooms for a long time. You know, it's, it's their nice addition. And I've got a yellow one. I've mm-hmm. got a, an orange one. 
Um, so what and, would be the thing to do wrong that would make those not work? What would the thing you'd make sure you didn't do? Well, make sure you give them enough room because their foliage goes out, you know, hor- uh, to the horizontally. So you've mm-hmm. got to you got to give them room to spread out. Uh, if you cram them up in there, the foliage is not the most attractive thing in the world yeah. that way. So you just give them their space, and, and and they need to be towards the back of the garden, typically, for whatever. And what's the name? Doesn't it start with a K? Uh, Nifofia. Nifofia. Now, is there yeah. a particular variety, Jim, that does better than maybe another? Not that I know of. Okay. I think they all do well mm-hmm. here. Um, Why did I? Th- is It's Nifofia, but it starts with a K, though, right? right? Okay, right. I was going to mm-hmm. say, wait, it starts with a K, but you're saying an N. Yeah, well, okay. like kind of like yeah. knife, K-N-I-F-E, yeah. Like, like shoo. But I do love the way, those, the way those blooms look. Yeah, um, so that that's a really neat one. Gives you some unique look in there. So if I'm going to do this in my, because uh, we always go, oh, it's native or drought tolerant, and then we go plant it in our native drought tolerant soil. Yeah, well, our, our soil is not drought tolerant. I mean, it's native, but you know. Yeah. It's, so yeah, it, so it, learn that. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that's the thing. You, you you need to do a little bit of research on plants before you just go slapping them in a garden there, because I, you know, a lot of people kill lavender really quick because it's drought tolerant. Don't water right. it, but you our know. soil's too tight. But if you plant it elevated, you know, it does quite well. Use Rosemary the, does better that way. Use the alighton or the permatil. Yeah. Mix that with your uh, soil. Or love it. Yeah. That definitely is going to help. Y'all should use that a lot more than you do, I think. Not yeah. y'all, but us. And yeah. Us and all of us. Room. I use it in, in practically all of my potting soil for Do containers. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, in the cactus mix, it's about half that. Awesome. So. And you can buy it in bags at your local garden centers. We'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome to Mid South Gardening. Um, I hope they got yeah. you doing that, Miss Veda. I was thinking. She was dancing, a, y'all. She's dancing, dancing in her chair. Show. If you want to give us a call this morning, it's really easy. 260 5926. 260 5926. Or shoot us a text yeah. at 9990.com or com. So if you put this music on and you're in the house yeah. and you just get the beat with your watering can, your duster, and you throw your out plants. your back and spend the next day in the. Well, that's why we're using a low beat <laughs> type of music. Because yeah. if you've got a fast beat, yeah, you're going to throw out your back. Jim, so you, you can still throw out the back. <laughs> Something to look for this spring is a new endless summer that's going to be Thank coming you. out called Pop Star. And it what is, is an endless summer? Okay, endless summer hydrangea <laughs> that's is. That's what uh, we have here when it's 105 degrees. Theory, a reblooming hydrangea. Uh, you got to prune them back pretty hard after they uh, after they flower to get them to rebloom. Uh, this year, I pruned one back hard and I uh, did get two flowers off of it. So, mm. but anyway, this new one is a is a very dwarf one. It only gets you know it's under two feet tall. That is awesome. Uh, yeah, yeah, it has the big big flowers on it, and it is. Uh, Purported to be the best rebloomer so far. And what's you, the name of it, Jim? Pop, Pop Star. Star. You do need to cut it back hard after the initial bloom uh, to generate more blooms. So that's that's kind of critical. You know what that reminds me of, though, what you just described? 
Well, some of the hydrangeas that you'll see around, you know, Valentine's Day or some of these holidays. Mm-hmm. The floral ones. Right, where they're, they're a florist-grown hydrangea. You know, they're only two foot tall, two foot wide, but they're full of bloom. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that's exactly what this will do for you. Mm-hmm. And especially planting this hydrangea, I think you maybe said, Jim, in a container, which would be also perfect. Right. Of course, it is, uh, it's deciduous, so you're not going to have much during the wintertime, but it is, uh, it's a... a root hardy wise it's going to be fine mm-hmm. uh, but it's going to be a nice addition for the front of the garden or shade garden um, where you don't where you're particularly uh, zero lot lines mm-hmm. where you have limited space uh, but it's, that means uh, less maintenance right if you're no, in a zero lot look, line. bingo yeah. <laughs> and i suspect it's going to be hard to find this first year you know we'll see how many numbers are out there but look for pop star it's the newest well, addition I'm in this summer but i still like the idea of using a Ever blooming type hydrangea like endless summer mm-hmm. because they're again, I mean, yeah, endless summers are going to bloom on old tissue like old fashioned hydrangeas mm-hmm. do and potentially bloom on new tissue like a lot of them don't do, except for the newer hybrids. Uh, but even if you have a really bad winter, which we typically mm-hmm. get around here, or the up and down winter, exactly, yeah. you know, that can kill back a lot of the blooming tissue that's on our hydrangeas, where some of these types of hydrangeas like in the summer you potentially will still get bloom where some of the old-fashioned ones you might not right you know last year we had ze- well the uh, temperature went near zero i guess well, it did. That, oh, uh, yeah. uh, spell but still had good hydrangea flowers because they hadn't swollen any it had been cold and uh, the root system was yeah. protected uh, where but, year before last mm-hmm. that, that's right we got an early freeze uh, and the wood hadn't hardened off, yeah. so it just killed all the flowers and it killed all the stems on most of them all the way to the ground. So even, but, but even now, Jim, we're into January in Veda, mm-hmm. that we're going to have some more cold weather. We know that. Oh, yeah. And we could have some more really frigid cold we weather. We still have that week of, like sure. we had last week. But we're year, hoping year. that <laughs> this far along, this is not, you know, not in back in November, but this far along, even though we're going to get some more cold weather, that hopefully our hydrangeas are still going to be fine, kind of like right. they were last yeah. year. Right. And could go with camellias, too, because I see the buds are trying to swell. Mm-hmm. And then right before they got too plump, we dropped enough where it's not damaging them right. yet. And so, again, we've you know, I've talked about it a number of times, but we live in that transition zone where our soil warms up and freezes and warms up and freezes. And if we get a little warm spell uh, where the soil warms up in uh, late February, early March, the the hydrangea thinks it's springtime. Right. So it's that bud begins and, to swell. Mm-hmm. And if it's showing green and we get a frost then after that on that, you're going to lose your flower. You know, last year, maybe the last two years, we've actually had a killing frost right mm-hmm. up to uh, April 15th, April yeah. 16th. I'm right. telling you. Yeah. And, you know, and that is really the frost date around here. But how ironic is it that... We've had them killing frost on that date, that Mm -hmm. night. It is, a couple of times, yeah. Or even, I think, one was after the frost date. Right. Well, I think, what did we say, 15th to 17th? 15th. And I think it was on the 17th. You're exactly Mm -hmm. right, Veda. Yeah, that was crazy. Okay, so I always forget this one. I can't ever remember it, so I'm actually going to write it down because I get dyslexia on it. But camellias, where is the, what's the ideal side of the house? Because there's a lot of little details. Well, Jim tells you there's some little nuances yeah. that you want to stay away from. Right, you know? right. The ideal place would be 
either a shady location or if they're, you don't have much shade, would be put them on the north side of the house. Which you go, what? That can't right. be, but why? Right. Well, because your ground is going to stay colder longer because sun can't hit it because of the house. And it will delay the bud swell on the camellias because most of the camellias will bloom, the, the spring bloomers, japonicas, between late January uh, on the real early bloomers and then up till about the 1st of May. So if you, the colder the ground, the later that bud's going to swell. If you get a frost on it, again, and it's showing some color, it will burn that flower, so you lose it. Now, so, so you typically aren't going to get a frost on it on that north side. Well, in the shade, you yeah. seldom get Because frost. of the overhanging trees. and That's right. And it delays the bud swell because you're on the Your north ground, side. Because the ground's colder. And that's okay. the reason we've always told people to plant hydrangeas on the north side. Right. It's the same reason. It delays the bud swell has nothing to do with the shade yeah. it has to do with cold ground yeah. because if you go north of here they grow hydrangeas out in full sun yeah. Yeah. you go south of here they grow hydrangeas out in full sun you know but here because we're in that transition zone this is a tough place to grow hydrangeas mm-hmm. now know? what about the sasanqua varieties that typically bloom earlier in the fall okay they tend to bloom earlier uh and in normally we'll have some that will bloom with frost on them but they are f- most of the flowers are frost hardy down to 27 or 28 right, so degrees. So that's not as big of an issue with the Sasanquas as not, it is with the Japonicas. That's right. You know, most of my Sasanquas are on the east side of the house. It's the, that's the front, but it is heavily shaded by the, the two big oak trees. So, um, you know, a north side, again, would be great for them. Uh, they'll tolerate, you know, several hours of sun. I've yeah. got a Japonica that gets... Now six hours of direct afternoon. I've so. seen them in full sun. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I've got the best looking flowers, best looking plants, or shaded some from that hottest. All right. Afternoon. So what I'm taking yeah. away from this, especially on the big leaf, the big bloom japonica type varieties, which to me is a true japonica. I mean, it's mm-hmm. a true camellia. Is you want to plant that camellia where it's really not going to be affected by morning frost. Mm-hmm. More than anything, that's on right. a bud that's, that's showing, just starting to crack that's open, showing color. Yes, and the north side, so the soil stays cooler longer, so the buds don't swell sooner. Well, right? and there's always right. exceptions to that rule. I mean, whether it's the east side, west side, south side, you can still have shaded environments over there, mm-hmm. and you can still have them under the canopy of a tree or whatever, where you typically don't see as much frost, like you said. Right, it doesn't frost <laughs> typically under a tree, and you know. The tree actually, even with no leaves on it, produces enough shade to keep the ground mm-hmm. cooler yeah. up underneath it. So, you know, you, you'll get the same effect planting under a deciduous tree that you would from the protection of the house. So, so the camellia that's got the bigger leaves that blooms in the fall, mm-hmm. we're looking for the protection well, that, blooms, the right. that blooms in the spring. Right. The japonicas. Right. Okay, japonicas, bigger leaves, bloom in the spring. We're wanting that on the north side. Right. Of the Protect house, them so from the morning sun. That's the that's the most crucial thing. That is so. amazing because, you know, a lot of people would just think that that east 
side would be the best side because they do don't mm-hmm. mind some sun, but mm-hmm. you typically want to keep them out of the hot afternoon western exposure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, just th- you know, general thinking, you would say, okay, we'll put this on the east side of the house, mm-hmm. and you'd so, still get some flowers, you know, right? Because most of the camellias, they're not like azaleas. You don't get a mass of flowers and then it quits. You get yeah. flowers blooming over a longer period of time. Well, but a lot of people don't want to lose any of those flowers. Well, I know that's we that's get true. crazy on that, don't you? Like yeah. at uh, a friend of mine's house, the front side of the camellias have small amount of blooms, but the part that's between the camellia bush and the house is covered with blooms because it's just protected mm-hmm. just right, right there where where the outer parts aren't blooming as much. So, the, so yeah. you definitely can grow camell- uh, camellias here in the mid south, and not only is it good strategically to put them like where Jim was talking about. But also, it's just one of those things that they need good drainage. They don't mm-hmm. like wet feet. So regular soil prep with camellias. Absolutely. Plant, plant them high. Plant them high. Add some of the Enlightener, the Permatil, possibly. Or, or do you think Absolutely. that's really, yeah, that would be good. That would be great. So I'm wanting to plant one in full sun. Tell me you about that. Can. Well, you can. What should I do with that? It's going yeah. to struggle. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not going to have the best foliage color. Uh, yeah. I mean, if I were going to plant any camellia in full sun, I would do a Sasanqua. Right, uh, yeah. it's, it's going to take that sun uh, better than a japonica would. So, which then in turn takes me to, if I'm trying to go with more of a beneficial lifestyle for plants, uh, more, um, you know, trying to do less care, then just don't plant the camellia in full sun. That's Just bottom line, right. don't plant it in full sun, go with a different plant. But camellias are not used enough here because I think we've been scared of them right but we can totally use them everybody you're not gonna have a problem i mean it's just like you don't plant your uh regular azaleas in full sun we're just saying don't do that with your camellias unless you want extra care so everyone should look on in their yard for a place for camellias because there's three feet tall there's 15 feet tall they're tree form they're bush form yeah and so many now that are so much more cold hardy than what we've had in the past oh yeah that was a thing um back when the camellia society was active back in the 70s um you know we had most all the real camellia growers had slat houses yes they did because Mm -hmm. the vast majority of them were not hardy here as far as the, the, the flower, mm-hmm. you would lose your oh, flowers flower. every year. Okay. Yeah. So by having them in a slat house, they could bloom in January or whatever their regular time and 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 be protected. Uh, but now we have some that are at least zone six and maybe zone five hardy uh, that uh, that have nice flowers on them. Uh, so it's uh, real. It's you're missing out if you're not planting you camellia. You are. Yeah. You are. I mean, there's so many shrubs and plants out there available, but let's, like, choose some that are really and I, I w- here. You know, and of course, I worked there for years, but the damn west down on Highway 64, you know, not I thought, putting a plug I heard you just you, played but, there for years. Yeah, but <laughs> they've got this fine selection of, of camellias that, that I've ever seen. Mm. Uh, and I, in fact, I got two last time I was out there. Yeah. <laughs> She's so, still planting camellias. Yeah, I'm still planting, planting camellias. So. Now, and... And, Jim, what about, you know, whether it's a Sasanqua or a Japonica, and I know we only got just a couple of minutes, um, any particular color that you think does better, or is it just a matter of preference? I think it's a matter of preference. I think there's so many more 
pinks available. Yeah, uh, the shades that, of pink. Right, that it, it opens and forms um, from singles that have have the yellow stamens in there to full doubles where you don't see any stamens. Right. Um, it, it, I'm real fond of the pinks, but yeah. I've got a um, a Bob Hope, which is a deep red that's yeah. uh, spectacular, um, and uh, I've got a. Uh, uh, white by the gate, which I think is a really good one. Yeah, white, so white, white, by, white the by the gate. Yeah, okay. white by the I gate. So you got one it, white by the gate. Yeah, yep. it, it was a seedling <laughs> that came up next to uh, in in somebody's garden, and uh-huh. they always referred to it as the white by the gate. Oh, cute! And so that's what it ended up once they propagated it. That's what it was called. I like but, that. But the name. white does just as well as the pinks and the reds yeah. in this case. Yeah. Now okay. you do need to do a little research because you know there are some there are some that are still zone eight hardy. That's right. You know. And some that are probably 8B, you don't want to get much north of that. That's right. But, uh, Kumasaka, which is one of my favorites, but it's a it wants to bloom in January, mm. you know, and so it's difficult to get full blooms on it. You'll get some, but you know, it, a lot of times the flowers get zapped on that one. And uh, is the Professor Sargent the red one also? Professor oh, Sargent like a is that one of my favorites. Yeah. Governor Mouton is a great red old one. Well, we'll um, be right back. So you got to tell me that one again. Okay. We'll be right back. Good morning and welcome back to Mid-South Gardening. Well, I think we've got you motivated today. What are you going to do? Get some house plants, fix your soil, look for new plants. I think I'd snuggle we inside. A, we also have a good chameleon list on our on our Facebook group, Mid-South Gardening. So it, it, to find those, if you go uh, right up underneath mm-hmm. the top there, there's some tabs and run over to the files tab. Hit it, and there are a whole bunch of files there uh, on uh, fruit trees and and uh, plants for salt and wet areas. Did you find your file when you downloaded I it? I still cannot. And last night I got on the on the phone, uh, got in a mm-hmm. conversation with Motorola, and yeah. they're as stupid as their phone is. Oh hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but you know, oh hey, they wouldn't answer my question. That's because they don't know the answer either. But now, yeah. but Jim, you still have files that you can. Got to. Oh, yeah. Well, I just can't on, on my phone. phone. Oh, I, I can't you. open them. Because no actually, problem. I can open them on mine, but now I can't find where it went. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know. But if I use the computer, it's right there. But if I use the my phone, lap, yeah. You know, my tablet or my laptop, they're fine. You know, they're all there. But for some, and my previous phone would open them just fine. I tell you what, though, it's a wealth of information, though. I've it looked is. at it's it before. And I mean, it's, and it's just listed. Mm-hmm. Uh, different topics, and you click onto one of those, whether it's hostas or roses or you know whatever. Yeah, and we have um, we have some uh, pesticide labels on there for you to look mm-hmm. at. We have uh, we have a local company here called Waypoint that um, that does soil testing, and we have mm-hmm. their. Uh, I'm not sure that's their current price list, but they have it shows the form there and all the tests that they can do for different things, and then they're located out in Bartlett. Um Yeah. So That's nice. right, let me let me say this, you know, we were talking about camellias a while ago and how they've been underplanted and, you know, how maybe some of the abelias, the new ones yeah. like the lemon lime, twist of lime, kaleidoscope, you know, they're underplanted um, and just different uh, distilliums or just whatever. Some of these plants are just underutilized. Well, I was looking at some pictures last night of different types of yews, Y-E-W-S. And to, I love the the look of yews. I like that soft needle you like the, look. You like the you of a yew. Yeah, of you, Veda. <laughs> um, 
And I was actually looking at some pictures of yews, not only in the landscape, but also in containers. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking, how many times do we need a plant that still has some uh, some vertical aspects to it? Verticality. You know, uh, and fairly easy to grow, fairly soft-looking, evergreen, needle-like plant. Oh, but it doesn't oh, have to be an Alberta spruce yeah. or, you know, something like that. So, like Utopia yews, mm-hmm. for example. And there's Hicks yews and different, yeah. you know, plum yews. But, y'all, I think there again, that's just one of those plants that we might start seeing more of mm-hmm. because I still think they're being underplanted. Yeah. And, Jim? Especially as container plants. Yeah, I like yeah. them. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. if they're grown properly, you can grow them as a hedge and shear yeah. them, and they look absolutely And gorgeous. I love them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, again, one of the reasons is they have been difficult to come by because not a lot of them are grown in the south, mm-hmm. you know, for and so we didn't have a lot of, uh, a lot of growers offering them here to mm-hmm. the Memphis market. You had to get them from uh, Oregon, Monrovia, or mm-hmm. uh, some, of the, some of the northern markets. And by the time you get frayed on them, it gets they're not the cheapest plants in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, most of them are grown in a heavier soil, so you're limited on how many you can get on a truck. Uh, it's, it's not like the barky mix; it's coming out of mm-hmm. uh, Mobile, so it's uh, they have some additional cost to get them here. But they are there's some that are just absolutely spectacular. Yeah, so yeah. I, I really think you know is. There again, especially when it comes to not only beds, but mm-hmm. I'll just happen to be looking at these containers. Yeah, they, and it, it's like just it. a, it's mm-hmm. a perfect shrub to put in a container for that particular look. It is. I agree totally. And that, I, okay, go ahead. No, go ahead. Uh, let's talk about one thing that happened this week was the eruption in on in near the islands of Tonga. Oh, yes. Putting all that CO two in the air. Putting <laughs> all the sulfur dioxide in the yeah. air, which has now made its way to Africa. It was probably the largest sound wave that we've had since Krakatoa back in the 1800s. It circled the way air pressure waves circled the earth three times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's uh, it's good. It's put a lot of sulfur dioxide. And if you remember back in the early 90s when Pinatubo uh, erupted, mm-hmm. we had beautiful sunsets for about two years. And I think that's where we're going to get that again, I think. Well, is there uh, any detrimental effect to sulfur no, dioxide uh, uh, well, raining down on our plants? Not, not particularly with this, but it does, you know, it, I'm not sure that it's going to cool the earth like we got with some of them you know where it cooled a degree or two Mm -hmm. uh but it was a spectacular event if you hadn't seen it look online because they had satellite pictures of it so amazing showing the ripples in the ocean too it was huge and it went you know shot stuff up into the air like 50 kilometers so Mm -hmm. side effects to volcanoes go bigger right Right. they they control (laughs) our weather and if you remember back last Mm -hmm. year i told you it was coming (laughs) <laughs> I told you. I told you. <laughs> yeah, but it does make for a great look it, on satellite it, images it, to it, watch. It, it does, and we're going to get some pretty sunsets out of it. Hey, folks, it's been a hoot. We'll be back again next week for three hours of uh, information and stuff. Contact us during the week on our Facebook group, Mid-South Garden. See you next weekend.